Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 59. We are back to discuss the remainder of volume 14, starting off with Lost Children, which is a lot of people's favorite section still. We have a special guest on this time. We are continuing uh, to have our Patreon donors on for us. So today our guest spot is Incantation. I'm going to be calling him Piran throughout the show. So if I say Piran or Incantation, it's the same guy. So Piran, please say hello. <laughs> hey, guys. Um, hi, Az. Hi, Griff. Hi, Waldor. Hi, everyone. Hello. Welcome back to the uh, show. I think you were on in 2013 or so. I can't remember. A couple of years ago. Yeah. Oh, was it? That that long ago. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, good to have you back, man. Um, thanks. thanks so much for donating. Thank everyone for donating. Uh, Piran was either number two or number three on our don- top donors list. So thanks a lot for that. And you've Thank already you. seen some of those things come to fruition. And yeah. Was- yeah. Uh, Puella came up with an update today, which I just saw. I mean, it's so awesome. Um, I mean, it's all thanks to Puella and, uh, you know, you guys for setting something like this up. So thank you. Of course. Yeah. We're happy to have more content, exclusive skullnight.net content. So anybody that has not checked out the Patreon, please do. It's at patreon.com slash skullnight. Anyway, we'll get moving. As I said today, we're just doing a reread on the remainder of volume 14, starting with the conviction arc and lost children chapter. A conviction spans 14 to 21. It's really, it's, it's the buildup for the Millennium Falcon arc. It's, it gives us the best sense of what life must have been like, you know, before, after, you know, the golden age and uh, after, you know, war had kind of decimated those, that, that section of the continent and before the Kushans arrived. And of course, Fantasia arrived. So you get a good sense of what life was like for them. Yeah. And also, I mean, very importantly, it's also the return of the black souls man, which is, you know, pretty fucking exciting, you know, from my perspective and uh, pretty, pretty badass. Yeah. And uh, that's, uh, I think that's a big part of, what makes this so great is that the way Berserk is set up is you have, you know, this early Black Souls Manarch that sets up a lot of things. And then, you know, the flashback goes on for a long time. And so when you finally returns to it, it's like, you know, you don't know what to expect. You, you don't know how the story can proceed, you know, forward with everything that's, you know, been learned in between. And, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, I think it's a, it's a pretty big, you know, like... I wouldn't say flamboyant, but, you know, it's a pretty great return to form for, for Guts and, uh, and Mura here. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, I'm imagining, you know, reading this without the benefit of hindsight, you know, just like after, you know, they go back, we see Guts leave to become the Black Swordsman, we see the Holy Iron Chain Knights, and then it just says two years later. Yeah. And that must have been really exciting, because, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be, you know, it says the Black Swordsman, you know, once more, or again, or returns, mm-hmm. or however you want to think of it, and, you know, you on this first page... With the tree, you just have no idea what's going to be coming or what's, you know, even what Guts might look like. Is he going to look different than he did before? He, you know, as it turns out, it's just a little changes to his armor. But, yeah, just I can only imagine how sort of uh, really exciting this must have been. It's also the introduction of uh, Lost Children, which is, uh, as I said, as Al said, is a, a fan favorite section. And I was actually trying to define like what it is about this section that appeals to so many people. And I think part of it might be because it's a, it's a mostly self-contained story. And so Mira kind of explores the edges of it and moves, moves briskly through it. But also I think it's, it's notable that this is kind of like a, it's a, it's sandwiched between two weighty events, you know, the eclipse and the incarnation ceremony. So 
that being said, this section of the story is very breezy. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like an, an exhale from all the drama of the eclipse. It's much more moves at a quicker clip. There's not as much, you know, heavy handed shit happening, uh, at least two guts dramatically. So it's a really, it's a quick, fun adventure for guts and puck in, an, in a hitherto unknown section of the world with unknown elements that you can kind of do whatever you want with and not be well, beholden to the larger story. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a neat little slice of, you know, life for Guts as the Black Swordsman, but without him, you know, having to deal with Casca or Griffith mm-hmm. or any of the main, you know, it's almost like a side story. Obviously, it ties into the main plot. I also think, like, the fairy tale elements play into that, but at the same time, it's also, it's also very dark, you mm-hmm. know, and just the way it deals with, you know, the psyche of, you know, apostles and Guts. And sort of that relationship of, you know, which way, you know, is he going to turn in fighting, you know, these monsters? You know, we see a lot of that. So it's like, you know, like you said, it's also, it's brisk and it's breezy. And in many ways it's light, but it's also some of the, you know, we get a lot of dark stuff with Guts too. Especially with the nature of dealing with children and, you know, how he's sort of going to balance, you know, Mm -hmm. fighting monsters and not becoming a monster. And there's also a lot of social issues that are, you know, like the commentary yeah. on it is not very, you know, it's, we don't linger in too, too much, but you know, like, you know, what it's like to live in the, those kind of small villages that have been ravaged by war, you know, or that, you know, how to say, <clears throat> endure, you know, uh, evil in the world, you know, like in this case, you know, Rochi. And there's, you know, of course, uh, the issue of Jill, you know, her father, his friends, you know, that kind of stuff. And there's also a little know, politics. It's a lot more, yeah, down to earth. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, even you know, actually, with the uh, Holy Iron Chain Knights, you know, when they come by, we can see what this kind of force, you know, can be seen as representing to these people. So I think you know, beyond that, you know, like like you said, to to me, I've always perceived it as some kind of the ultimate, you know, archetypal adventure of the Black Souls man. You know, like after this, you know, we get, you know, we move on at the end of this arc and, uh, you know, we move on from the Black Souls man. It becomes something else, you know, pretty quickly, I would say. And so to me, and of course the events at the Tower of Conviction are, you know, a bit too complicated to be just a self-contained adventure. So to me, this, you know, uh, is just, you know, unlike what happened with the Count and everything where there was a god end involved, it's like really the ultimate adventure of Guts and Pack, you know. And I think that's why a lot of people like it, because of this angle, because it's a Black Souls man, Puck, and, you know, just, you know, you know, versus an apostle, versus evil, versus that kind of stuff. And aside from a few, you know, events, you know, uh, especially, you know, put here and there in the, in the story, we don't get to see that again. <clears throat> well, it's almost anomalous in that regard. Uh, let me ask you this. Now, do you foresee Miura like, giving us more of the Black Swordsman where we are at with the story right now? Or, you know, we've, we've done with a flashback for Guts already and everyone's expecting the story to move forward. Yeah, Do you mean you like welcome... now or before yeah, the end yeah, of the series? Like before the end of the series, like, would you welcome another, you know, Black Swordsman centric, you know, thing where he's met another apostle, he's had another experience? Do you do you see something like that happening? Honestly, I no. It, I don't think it would be a. I mean, here's what I expect, if anything. Before Casca comes back, there might be some kind of ordeal when he was like maybe a vision of his past when he was alone before. You know, before dedicating himself to her again in Volume Seventeen, we may, maybe, but I, I feel like those dark days are behind him. I think um, the Black Swordsman arc being the darkest period for Guts before Puck arrived and his life started changing. I just think I don't know. 
I just don't feel, I don't sense that we'll get a, at least a prolonged adventure like this again. I mean, if anything, it'll be like a glimpse into his past life. I don't know. That's all I feel anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess, uh, the way I would put it is I don't expect it, but I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. expect, you know, like the story with Cheech either, you know, so right. I mean, you know, we yeah. could get yeah. something like that, but it's like, I don't, yeah, I don't think there's anything pointing in that direction, but you know, mm. it's something Mira could do if he wanted. Yeah. And you know, I think I'm still convinced that. That little flashback we saw with Cheech uh, was, you know, was put there for a reason, not just because yeah. it's nice to see that. Right, I, I right. think uh, Cheech herself, you know, uh, will will tie into what we we find out at uh, Helfam. So, you know, in that regard, itself, the purpose others and also showing us, which was very <laughs> much appreciated, you know, guts, you know, you've and while I would appreciate, of course. Seeing a, a flashback to you know the Black Swordsman era, and we so seeing Guts and Puck, you know, duking it out with whoever knows what. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I don't really expect it. <laughs> the, uh. It's hard to see that as anyone flashing back to like not even Puck, like oh the good old days, you know, <laughs> like it's, you know, oh wait, oh, that yeah. was horrible. <laughs> what, when he was just you know self hating and you know just you know yeah. didn't care about anything. Maybe uh, maybe it can be the epilogue, you know, 20 years later, 40-year-old Guts with a white beard is the Black Swordsman still hunting down leftover monsters. <laughs> you know, I'll, get, I'll catch them all, you know, gotta catch them all. <laughs> so if you're following along in the volume, it's like a, a third of the way through 14, right as the Golden Age ends. Uh, we enter, we, the page opens with the, the Eclipse. It's kind of a unique shot of the eclipse, though. Uh, you know, you can see the swirling forms around it. Uh, you know, the, I don't even know what to call them. Ghosts, demons, uh, kind of, it's a kind of an abstract view of it, cause that's certainly not what you would expect to see on the surface of the sun like this. So I think it's supposed to be rather abstract. What do you think, Azil? Well, yeah, you know, the first thing that strikes me is how ominous it looks, you know, like almost evil in itself. And so, yeah, I, I agree, actually. It's, you know, I actually wondered if it's a, a depiction of the sun itself, you know, or the black sun, the one that's actually inside, you know, uh, the eclipse, the place where it takes place, you know, because, you know, otherwise this would have to be the moon and uh, <clears throat> that's not really what it looks like. But yeah, clearly it just, it just looks evil. You know, I, I think it's pretty fitting with the text that's overlaid on top of it, you know. Mm-hmm. What I it's... like about it is how it looks sort of like it could be you know, natural phenomena, the swirls and things inside. But when you look closely, you can also see what could be, you know, like faces as if, you know, it's a, it's like a window into that dimension. Like as was saying, he doesn't know if it's supposed to be the outside or showing what's inside. And I yeah, think that's kind of neat. It's certainly the, the outside because the text, as Zeal mentions, is talking about this particular sun hanging over all the nations. So it's well, what, it's, it's and then you see it view. moving away, you know. I just think it has yeah. sort of an artistic quality to it, you know, in that sense where, you know, it's a little metaphorical, p- potentially. You could yeah, take it yeah. literally, or you could take it like, you know, Mira's giving us this l- little window. I yeah. think yeah, it it kind of looks like uh, a couple of solar flares. You know, it kind of mm-hmm. looks like that. Um, yeah. You're talking about the rim, on the rim, right? Yeah, yeah, on the yeah, rim, sure. yeah. Well, that's just the effects of the sun. More evident whenever it's being blocked out, the direct light's being blocked out like that, for sure. Mm. Um, <clears throat> we'll go ahead and move on. Uh, I like that we get kind of a average person's view of this, you know, phenomenon and seeing what they think. And they, they begin praying whenever they see these, this uh, mother and, and child. 
And uh, then the Holy Iron Chain Knights arrive. This is an interesting introduction because this is, you know, a, a hitherto unknown faction within the Berserk world, the Church or the Holy See. And the name itself, the Holy See, mirrors one from our own world, uh, the government that represents – actually, I had trouble wording this. The government that represents the seat of power for Catholicism. It's like the central government for the pap- the, pap- the papal government, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, you know, the seat of the, of the Pope, pretty much. Right, right. <clears throat> I really admire all the details in the armor and everyone has their own individual motifs as well. It's not like it's just, you know, one crest across everyone. Everyone kind of represents their, I'm assuming their own family crests and a lot yeah. of their insignias on the shields and such. Very decadent looking and, you know, we I don't mean, know it. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, just, uh, I mean, uh, Renee herself just looks ridiculous. It's like she's riding a unicorn with, you know, all these <laughs> four-leaf clovers all over her, you know, and swirls. You know, I just imagine, like, rainbows and four-leaf clovers and unicorns. It's just they're, they are meant to look, they do, I mean, she in particular does not look like, you know, she is in fighting form. This is a very, you know, gilded kind of uh, fighting yeah. here. Yeah, we don't know it until a, a bit later. I think it's volume 18 or so, but this particular army is very ornamental. You know, they're, they're on yeah. this relative wild goose chase sent by the church. They never really expected them to hit pay dirt or anything with this mission. You know, this is the sons of, of nobles for the most part, and it's kind of just a, an honorific position. But at the time, is like their ringer, basically, and they don't, yeah. they probably don't know it, but Serpico as well. Of course, yeah. But even even that's by happenstance that he happens yeah. to have some some amount of skill. But uh, yeah, it's mostly an ornamental army. But it certainly doesn't look like that at first. You know, you, it's they're rather imposing. At least the way they come on the scene like this, and they're very decadent. yeah. The first shot of them sort of ch- marching through, you know, just even the the way the sound effects are depicted is it's very impressive looking. Mm-hmm. Well, it's impressive and, looking, but like you said, we still can see that they are very ornamental. So I think yeah. you know, even then, Mira had you know made it a point. To make it clear, you know, what they were, that they were not just like, you know, uh, the purple rhinos or anything of the sort. <clears throat> yeah. I just think it's interesting that they do come across as more powerful and, and in the end of the scene, by the end of the scene, more insightful about the happenings in the world than, than they truly are. I mean, we'll get to some of the Holy Sea stuff. Well, I guess we can go ahead and launch into it now, but I, I was going to say we get a little bit of knowledge about this. Uh, they're, they're walking on the scene. They're talking about this being part of their apocalyptic inquiry, as Azan says. And I'm, I'm moving fast. We're going to go back and discuss details here. But the point being, the purpose of their mission here is to confirm the appearance of the Red Lake and thus the fifth, the fifth angel having been born. So they have these very specific insights into what it, what has happened. But it's kind of like the knowledge of the world as described by someone 200 years ago in the prophecy that they're basing everything they know on. So it's a little, yeah. everything's a little off, you know, but at first blush, if you were reading this, it would seem like, Oh wow. These people actually know what's going on. Yeah. You know, they know yeah. What they're exactly. talking about. There's some sort of supernatural, you know, knights, you know, or hunter, you know, monster hunters or something, <laughs> but you find out later they, they don't really know much either. Yeah. They're, they're pretty in the dark, but you're right. That it certainly gives the impression that there's this, Hitherto unknown group of humans that's in the know about the God Hands, and that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, especially since the prophecy is dead on, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. So that prophecy, you know, Farnese quotes it, talking about the you angel know, of darkness. Before talking about that, too. Before talking about that, I'd like to say that you know that exchange between Serpico and Azan in the I beginning was, is a. Uh, 
I was going to get there. I just didn't, oh, I wanted to dive into the Holy Iron Chain Knights first, but I have a couple right. things written about those. Sure, two. sure. Go ahead then. <laughs> I was just going to say the um, the prophecy itself. It's very enigmatic. Like as you said, it's dead on. Uh, the master of the sinful black sheep and the king of the blind white sheep, and we hear Shirke say the same thing in volume twenty two. So it's there's there's some basis to that. There's a foundation there that's real. Where do you guys think that originated? Because if Shirke says the same thing, and these bozos from the church happen to know it as well, how could that have happened? You know, what's the source? What's the origin story for that process? Well, you know, I, th- I think that's maybe uh, like a little too speculative for a volume to read, but, you know, it seems to me, you know, pretty obvious that, uh, you know, the church, the Holy See lifted it from, you know, another source uh, rather than, you know, the way around. So, most likely, uh, Shiruke and, you know, uh, Flora, you know, got that knowledge, you know, either firsthand or from, you know, a knowledgeable source. And then the Holy See, you know, grabbed onto it. Like we are told, uh, when we see, you know, uh, Enoch and all that stuff that, you know, certain, you know, amount of things from, you know, the lore of the world that the witches know about, you know, was incorporated into the, the Holy See's doctrine. That includes, uh, for example, the, the kings of the elemental world, so who are, who are depicted as angels you know, by the early sea. So I think you know that uh, prophecy must have undergone a similar you know process, and uh, maybe you know it was twisted, or at least the interpretation of it was twisted in the process. But from what we seem you know to see in this scene, uh, they seem to actually have got the right idea. But you know, unbeknownst to them. They are part of the, you know, blind white sheep, or at least right. the Holy See is meant to be in the grand scheme of things. It's, uh, it's kind of going off the deep end here, but we, in volume 17, I think they mentioned the, the Dark Horse translates it as the Miracle Recognition Department, talking about the way, uh, I guess the specific authority that Sfarnese operates under within the Holy yeah. See itself. Yeah. And it kind of implies the existence of a sect within the Holy See that keeps track of supernatural things. So if you can imagine the the church, much like our own, collected all sorts of knowledge and kind of kind of you know uh, what's the word streamlines it for the public, right? You know, keeps the most secret knowledge to themselves and censors it and and, and black lines things. But there's probably a, a department that that actually knows quite a bit and or has a storehouse or a warehouse of knowledge, you know, kind of yeah, like, like most temple likely, of doom yeah. kind of thing. There's actually, yeah, there's actually different, you know, bureaus or whatever inside the, you know, the holy scene, the real world that, you know, archives this kind of stuff. So, right. yeah, I, I guess, you know, that's, uh, that's So I guess my, the reason I mentioned that is my, my answer is, you know, given the church's authority and the, the authority that it's built over the past few centuries, they must have stumbled onto something that really was close to the mark and they're just regurgitating that. Whereas, as you said, Shirke and, and Flora have kind of like the direct line of information, probably. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, it's like most of what their doctrine is. I, I you know, I think we, we don't get to know much of it in detail, but I'm pretty sure a lot of it is, you know, information that was, you know, digested, modified, you know, appropriated and regurgitated, you know, uh, you know, to make it more palatable to whoever was deciding what it should be like. <clears throat> yeah, and before we finish this particular part of the scene i wanted to note how cool and collected farnese looks when she's delivering the prophecy such a far cry from her actual character it's like a mask she's wearing at this point you know such a different well, character here yeah why well, you actually you know yeah 
She's a bit, but you you can tell she's you know like you you see this little sweat drop you know yeah, on, yeah, uh, yeah. On, on her forehead and yeah I think you know this is like a very short introduction onto their characters you know generally speaking mm-hmm. but uh, yeah she looks she looks pretty pretty badass actually uh, in those shots or actually you know she looks like a leader pretty yeah cool headed and uh, yeah it's a it's a far cry from what she actually doesn't to be <clears throat> so yeah now we've done, done the bulk of it I agree there is some. Strange stuff or interesting stuff with Azan and Serpico here. This being their introduction, Serpico's personality here was <laughs> quite a bit different than Serpico we know now. Yeah. He's uh, much well, more flamboyant, I guess, you know? Well, I was about to say he's more, how to say, mischievous and, um, sure. yeah. you know, yeah. I could say less, you know, he's kind of, uh, you know, I wouldn't say stern because he's not like, for example, Azan would be, but, He's not, uh, he's, a, he's more of a contemplative guy, you know, not very, and here he comes across more, you know, like more of, uh, as a joker, you know, kind of, you know, like his mm-hmm. comment to Azan is, is, you know, quite unlike how we see him today. So, you know, that can be taken several different ways, you know, like maybe at the time his character wasn't completely, you know, defined or anything like that. But also it could be just a reminder that he actually changed over the years quite a bit, you know, and it's not just Farnese because, you know, there's often a focus on, you know, Farnese's journey and how she's, you know, how far she's come from what she was to what she is now. And uh, it's true even later on, you know, in volume 17, 18 and so on. Uh, Sepko still was not quite like who he is today. So I think this might, we could see it as reflecting a, a change on his character over time, you know. Yeah, and I think uh, part of it has to do with, I don't think he's taking any of this too seriously, you know, the yeah. mission and any of it. You know, I think what could be the change is obviously meeting Guts and seeing, you know, all the things that they obviously see and obviously Farnese actually coming into real yeah. danger. I mean, if you wanted to sort of, yeah, paint an arc in there. But yeah, here I feel like he's just sort of, you know, he's a little bit of our window into this, a little bit more of a lighter touch, someone who kind of, you know, he's in on the joke of what this outfit is kind of really about, you know, until they <laughs> yeah. find out like, oh, these things actually are out there, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I, I enjoy his character at this point in this role. Well, Whereas, you know, Azan, you know, outside of uh, him being, you know, very strict and knightly and so on, yeah. he's also the guy that's there to keep them in check. You know, like, aside from the rank and all that crap, he's the, he's the one that can actually fight and defend all of them, you know, in case something happens. Right. So I, I think, you know, he's also, his position and his attitude also reflects that. Like, he's, and of course, the fact he takes his duty very seriously. And I think the first time we ever see that Serpico is anyone to be taken seriously at all is, uh, and it's not even very clear, is when he takes down Guts with that stick later. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And he might, you know, I forget if he had a serious conver- his conversation with Jerome before that. We're getting ahead of myself there. But, you know, that's when we first sort of get a glimpse of, you know, him without the goofy grin on his face. Yeah, he, he's capable, yeah. Yes, yeah, the the scene you're talking about with Jerome is volume 18, and it's when he uh, walks away from that scene, and he's wearing that he puts his fox mask down, and it gives yeah. it a much more sinister look, as I recall. You know, that yeah, seems okay, really cool. so yeah. 16 is really the first time we see that, like, you know, he was able to do something pretty that was pretty precise and, yeah. and pretty perfect to work, and you know, there was a little bit more to him than he lets on. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of Azan. Um, is he the only guy who's wearing like a thick chains around his chest? 
Like everyone uh, else has got like pieces of cloth with the the logo on, but no, there's a couple I, more. Okay. Okay. Yeah, if you look at the first wide shot of them, it's hard to tell if it's part of the outfit or actual chains, but you mm-hmm. see a couple of the soldiers in the very first shot of them. But he's right. definitely wearing, yeah, like actual chains around yeah. his armor, like which mm-hmm. is, is well, for his very badass. Is, yeah, so it shows you know, us that yeah, he's, he's not I mean, to be yeah. fucked around like these other guys. You know, <laughs> he's, not, he's not just wearing like uh, the tuxedo yeah. t-shirt. He's in the they're, real outfit. <laughs> they're pretending to be while he just is. You know, yeah. Right. He looks like a biker in that shot with those greaves and the the chain and his expression. Yeah, you know? yeah I, I love his you know his gauntlets, the way they look. Mm-hmm. Just oh yeah, it's for it's for pummeling faces, you know. Well, yeah. now that is something it looks like he got from the 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 rhino knights or the the whale knights. <laughs> Dude, and and the other page, I mean the next page, um, you see you know uh, Farnese with the unicorn horse, and if you notice Azan. Uh, his mouth's open and he seems to be smiling or something, but he's missing like a tooth. Well, I think that might be the printing. He's probably right. still has. I doubt yeah. he lost a tooth. Yeah. The <laughs> it's from all that grimacing, what is filling out. Just, yeah, he anymore. was he was gnashing them so much it just yeah. popped out from the tension. <laughs> While we're on that page, though, that first shot of Farnese, you know, the the four leaf clover imagery of the symbol there, it's actually House Vandemian symbol. Yeah, I actually, I'd forgotten. I checked mm. it in twenty nine. Yeah, we see it reappear again in twenty nine, uh, all over the place in the Vandemian household. But I thought that was cool that it was introduced here so early on that he had an, a notion that it would be something unique to her. Yeah, well, it's like also you said, interesting. Sorry. Most of them have their own, you know. No, it's okay. I was just going to say, like, like what I said earlier. Most of them have their own insignia, so we, we know they're from, you know. Like, actually, it's some things that I find very interesting is that very early on, if you pay attention, you get a lot of information about these guys, you know. Like the fact they're mostly ornamental, you know, and they're not really made for battle, even though they look impressive, you know. They're all from not different noble houses. So all of that is information you get, you know, right away, even though it's only explained later on. But, you know, I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. One thing we didn't mention is kind of obvious maybe, but worth noting is that their, the timing of their arrival it appears to be pretty much right after the eclipse. We're talking like, seems like minutes, right? Maybe well, yeah. well, you, you literally yeah. see the, the eclipse moving away from the sun. Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, then they show up and then they're looking at the bodies and seeing the aftermath. Right. The timing of that is pretty fascinating. They must have had some kind of key info for that, I'm assuming. Well, uh, yeah, I think they were just, you know, looking like, you know, there's a prophecy. So they were probably looking for a specific set of events, Mm -hmm. you know. Right. Plus, they could have spotted that tornado kind of thing. Oh, there you go. Let's head towards that thing, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because that was huge. Sure. It would not have been missed, that's for sure. What's interesting yeah. to me, and this is just sort of a weird, you know, psychological thing, it's hard for me to imagine them roaming around, you know, at the same time that the eclipse is happening, sort of in the Golden Age arc, because they don't, you know, this is, again, this is how you divide up the story. It's like, they don't belong there, but clearly they were pretty close, and, you know, in, <laughs> yeah. during that time. Sure. I always think of them as being, you know, yeah, they're after the fact. Well, you know, I think... I don't have a problem really with imagining them, you know, roaming around, you know, at the time. It's more of a. 
I guess like my I, said, I, I I know what Griff's saying in terms of having a reservation yeah. about that. But I, well, it's my, not a reservation. I, I, it's just a weird thought. You know, when you're the yeah. way you divide up the story in your mind and the way it's divided up, it's weird sure. to think. Oh, you know what? They were already roaming the countryside when that was happening. Them and the the Falcons at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though we see them always in different you know eras of the story, before and I, after there. I guess I would take that a little further. Just in my 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 problem, I guess, if you could even call it a problem. I, th- I think it's weird that we never hear word one about the Holy See until just now, as I recall. Well, I think there's a f- maybe a few, a couple of mentions, but uh, yeah, it's not directly you know. But even then, when you see in the beginning, like when they arrive, the mother, you know, is surprised. You know, they're they're here. Mm-hmm. You know, what if, and I what think, if they had run into Wilds forces <laughs> while they were well, on the Well, <laughs> they'd probably be, you know, <clears throat> have a nice end to them. But yeah. uh, the thing is, you know, like at the time, you know, like, you know, if we, what to say, uh, you know, in real, you know, in the real world, you know, uh, th- th- this kind of thing could be conceived of, you know, like where all nations are submitted to the, you know, the Holy Empire, but at the same time, like a king's, you know, is still sovereign over his land. So like his, yeah. you know, armies are there, and you know the other guys, you know, uh, stay where they are. Even though he's, you know, in theory, you know, he submits to them, or he's a part of it. But you know, the political reality of it is uh, much more complex. You know, so I, I think it makes sense in a, in a way. You know, like we know there's a religious component in Midland. Before that, mm-hmm. you know, like we see, it, for example, when Griffith is made a knight. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not expressly mentioned. So, sure. No, the the falcon symbol. I'm pretty sure we see pretty early on. I think it's volume seven or eight is when it first appears. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I guess I'm talking. I'm repeating myself. I, I just am, I'm surprised there was no mention of this being a powerful force until now. But he's really he's laying out the carpet for them now that they have a role to play in the story. You know, that's yeah, really, that's really all it comes down to. And the truth yeah. is also like we we hardly get more information than we need. Like you know, during the Golden Age, for example, you know, we never hear of another country, you know, other than yeah. Midland and, and Tudor. So you know, all these kind of things, it's just you know, like when it when there's need for it, the story is expanded, and you just you know, as a viewer, you just have to assume that it's been there all along. And um, I, you know, I, honestly, it doesn't bother me. It's never bothered me much. So, but yeah, it's just the way it is. So, um, the two years later thing is how we start, really start the Lost Children section. Um, what do you think, where do you think that places the Black Swordsman adventures in the timeline? I mean, like, if this is, if this is effectively, you know, year two was year one, the Black Swordsman era, or was it, you know? I think so. I think, I mean, because he spent some, okay, so it's two years later from the day of the eclipse. So he Mm -hmm. spent some months at the cave. With, uh, I mean, first he was recovering, right. and then you know, there's more recuperating, and he spent months there with Casca before he finally left. So that could have been maybe, you know, six months to, you know, a year, probably closer to the six months. Correct me uh, if I'm wrong there. Let, let me interject real quick just to clarify sure. and make it way more clear I'm trying to get at. How, how much time has passed? How long has he been with Puck? You know, okay, how much development since, potential has Guts had since the last time we saw him? I guess is the point. He's I got new assumed. leather pants. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's got, cool. he's got upgrades to his armor. I always assumed it was like at at most a year, but probably okay. probably a bit less. Like I don't know, six to nine months, that kind of stuff. So that's how I've always seen it, you know. But 
Obviously, it's just, you know, undefined. We don't really have any way to know. Well, what's interesting, it's almost more interesting to think of before, what was what were his adventures before he met, you know, the Snake Baron and the Slug Count? Because they already knew of him. So, yeah. he, you know, they they probably didn't just know him from killing that, you know, pig apostle at, uh, at Godot's. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. presumably he did, you know, he had already hunted down and killed a few other apostles, you know, enough to get his... Uh, his name out there. Yeah. In the most, yeah. the most information we get about it is I think it's volume 17 or so. He talks about following the sensation of the brand, you know, wandering aimlessly. Of course, that, that's the most in- detail we get about anything prior to page one of the series about what he might have been doing. We don't know. I don't know how long no. it's been. I, the reason I bring up the question mostly is to show when Guts does appear on the page and we see him interacting with Puck and Jill, he's clearly evolved quite a bit, I think, from yeah. page from the volume you know, three. Well, you know, I think he's evolved, yeah, a bit, but you know, like not that much. There's still it's, aspects of him when you compare him, who he was, you know, like then in volume fourteen to now. Like there's a much bigger gap than uh, oh, sure, compared to sure. who he was in volume three to volume fourteen. And I mean, so when I we think, first see him, it really is a flashback with the hood on and you know the rain and you know yeah. it does take you back to that well, black swordsman. I think it's sort of a, I guess a fusion between what we saw in volumes one through three and sort of the reverse you know retro development we had with him during the golden age, and that's what yeah. we've arrived at here. You know, you know, I think uh, a lot of this first episode is a. Uh, like it's a take back to to that time. There's a lot of things that are meant to, let's <clears throat> say, remind us of that. And I think that includes Jill with you know Colette and you know the way at the end of the episode, you know, there's that the you know narration about the Dragon Slayer, which she's from the perspective of Jill this time around. So I think there's many things that are meant to evoke you know the beginning of the series. And yeah, I think it's fitting given that it's the return of the Black Sword Man, indeed. Sure. Well, if Prolong this quite a bit. Let's just go ahead and get moving with Lost Children. Uh, these, I mean, I want to call them brigands. Is that too, you know, <laughs> <laughs> elaborate I, I, name for what these guys are? Thieves? <laughs> slaves? I, I think, traitors? Yeah, I think bandits or brigands or ruffians, you know, fit the bill. Sure. I love how just like coarse and rough these guys look, you know, just like the best, particularly the leader who looks close to a relative of the slug or the, you know, the, uh, boar apostle, you know, the way he's designed his teeth and all that stuff. It's just, it's just gross dudes. And they have the little wormy rat dude that they're, comes out and yeah, they're almost, oh, I mean, they're like almost a little too much. Each one of them is a different grotesque shape and size. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's really a great menagerie yeah. of sort of, you're a gross guys. And all these and things. Like, Go ahead. I was saying I like that we, that, you know, they don't really waste time, or we don't waste time seeing what they're up to. You know, like they've got oh, Jill yeah. captured, they're gonna sell her as a slave, and you know, the, the small guy wants to rape her. You know, before that, so you know, like we get the picture right away. You know, there's no doubt these guys are just scumbags. There's also a little bit of slice of life here when she knees him in the balls, and the guys are laughing at him for having you know failed in his attempt. So there's a little bit of character story there that these guys yeah. probably have been doing this kind of shit for a while. Um, I like how, I mean, all, all these things, how lame these guys are and how rough they are. It's all in service of how the tables are turned once, once guts comes. Yeah. But, uh, well, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. What, you know, go ahead. I just wanted to say one thing I like about how we transition from that to the rest is, you know, the creepy little stories a guy starts telling. You yeah. Know? Yep. Like, yep. I, I, I love that, you know, tail by the campfire <laughs> aspects of it, you know, 
like the holes and nails are highlighted, the faces, you know, the highlight of the trees. You know, I, I like that, you know, how that's brought up. And uh, it's something Mira does only a few times in the series, and I really like that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. I always you know, relish any kind of look into the past like this. Like we have – they call them heretics, and they're holding – gnarled branches it really makes me think about some kind of like subsection of witches or wizard or um sorcerers but probably more just like assholes that were doing you know terrible yeah, rituals i i think it's closer to the actual heretics we we get to see you know it was the guys the oh, yeah? heretics so the guys you know at the tower convictions that you know do the orgies and you sacrifice you know people and that kind of stuff you know mhm I, I don't believe actual witches or people with magic power would do this kind of stuff. You know, that, that seems to be completely out of character for them. I just mean, I don't actually believe it. My, my thought was more maybe a, 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 a glimpse at another side of magic that we haven't been shown yet. That's all. But this is too small and insignificant a look into something like that for that to be important. Yeah, so. and, and mostly it's just like it doesn't serve any purpose. It's, it looks like sure. they were just killing people for, you know, for fun or. I like the the reveal. You know, the the lighting here plays a big role. The the, the sharp lighting of the fire uh, on yeah. the tree and how it's revealed that they t- they talk about having nails in there to tie the intestines to the tree, and then they go around the circle, and then the reveal that there are like dozens of these nails in the trees. You know, it really makes it so much more creepy to know that you know potentially hundreds of people have died here. So as this thing is happening, you know, the wormy guy is getting a little. You know, he's, he's pushing his luck on, on Jill and, you know, ends up slicing her, her dress down, intending to see if she could, you know, do the tree walk. Uh, yeah. But at that point, Puck intervenes. And I, I like that it's Puck that intervenes. And Guts yeah. actually doesn't know it until later. He figures it out. But yeah, Puck's the one that said, nope, we're, we're going to do something about this. And, you know, yeah. just, uh, well, I just like how he, yeah, he's trying to initiate trouble to sort of, get guts involved which yeah, sort of begs yeah. the question was guts just gonna like ignore this situation or how long would he have ignored it until Puck, yeah. you know sort of push the issue yeah where it's like nah, let's get this guy over here to where uh where my castle has to do something about it right yeah <laughs> my house <laughs> yeah uh, actually yeah and, and you know like like i said uh, you know earlier i think this kind of thing like you know well, first, I think it's very atmospheric the way it happens. You know, like you see the the bloody needle. I guess it's the introduction of yeah. yeah. You see it happen, and you know, then the guy is looking at the darkness, and he can't see shit. You know, and there's the lightning that lights up guts. But you know, my point is that you know, guts. I was actually just you know sitting there, and he was watching these guys, and he just you know, like well, he was sleeping. But the point is, he was not really in a hurry to intervene. So you know, it's what I was saying is like. I think he's still, you know, like the Black Swordsman we saw in, you know, the Black Swordsman arc in that, in that regard, you know, in that he's not really, and we see it, you know, afterwards, but he's not really interested in these guys, you know, he, mm. he doesn't really care. He's mostly, he's just focused on evil, you know, evil beings and that kind of stuff. And I think I'm, I'm going a bit, you know, too far ahead, but, you know, when he's talking to them, he really, he's just ignoring them. It actually makes him look pretty badass, but, He's just his only care is you know the tree and what you know that might mean. Right. It's like it probably wouldn't have even um, gotten involved if, if the tree wasn't a factor. Is yeah. it kind of only lights up at that point? You know. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, anyway, it just goes to show he is not. You know, he's not a hero. He is not a heroic guy. Sort of at this point, in the sense that I think he's just, he's also very cynical and jaded in that you know these guys yeah. they've kidnapped this girl and they're gonna you know rape her, or kill her, and you know. 
I don't know how much, you know, he might be asleep or it might be he also just doesn't care because it's like, this is just the way of the world. It's going on, you know, all over. And it's not, yeah. like as said, it's not his concern. Yeah, and, and that's why Puck actually intervened. And, you know, like that yeah. shows us how Puck actually has been, you know, like almost pestering guts back into, you know, humanity, you know, by his literal sort of conscience. Yeah. You know, acting in that role. I think, I, I think it's certainly worth questioning whether guts would, had played a role or not, but the point is that he did, you know, regardless yeah, yeah. of how it happened, he ended up yeah, doing it. He, he, he's it might not have just that been guy, how long you know? until he would have intervened if yeah. this just sort of sped it up where it's like, okay, I guess I, I have to do something. These guys are getting out of control. Yeah. The reveal of Gut's face, you know, really bright light whitening. Um, and then the guy's reaction when he sees him, his face is yeah, just, it just scares classic. the shit out of him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is like funny because you know he was actually right in that you know what hit him before you know it was Puck who was harmless, but it was you know Puck was leading him down this you know rabbit hole to a <laughs> to, to a monster. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and it actually surprises Jill. She's not sure what it is at first, and they don't know who, what it is either. You know, Jill thinks it's a ghost from yeah. the forest or something, and. Uh, the guys instantly draw their weapons and guts, you know, dramatically rises up. I like that the water coming down, just taking his time, you know, drawing his hood. I like it in this, in this scene. Hood, he just looks annoyed. Well, yeah, yeah. exactly. What I was going to say was in this scene and in, I think it's two scenes forward, he's just trying to get some sleep. And he says it a couple times that, you know, even when he's asleep in the windmill, he can't get more than 30 minutes of sleep at a time, basically. And so he's just annoyed that all these things are happening. And he's just trying to get some sleep, you know, it, it does, as Zeal mentioned at first that, He's so casual about all this that it does make him come across as quite powerful. And he, he looks, yeah, he actually, like when you see, when he says he can't, you know, you know, even, you know, get to sleep, he actually looks, you know, bored, you know, he's like, yeah. like you said, annoyed <laughs> and bored. And yeah, he's, you know, this whole, you know, occasional, you know, attitude makes him look, you know, along with, of course, his appearance, everything quite, quite badass, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I mean, the little guy who quite bravely, yeah. actually, though stupidly, you know, is kind of standing up to him and, you know, telling him, you know, don't mess with us. And Guts just walks past him and casually cuts his tongue off oh, you yeah. know, without even, uh, you know, just sort of like, oh, excuse me. He, does, <laughs> he doesn't stop. He's just walking by. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. It's, it's so great. I, I love that He literally scene, like, says, like, great. never mind as he's doing it and then starts talking to the big guy who he towers over. And then in the background, you can see the guy on several panels still bleeding out of his mouth. He's just spraying yeah, out. Know, yeah. That. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. the the stature of Guts versus even the big guy is pretty funny. You know, Guts is just standing up, and this guy he's already taller, like a head taller than the biggest guy. Yeah, and but uh, anyway, they're all they're asking if his if, if Guts is asking if they were serious about that story. <clears throat> yeah, it's what I said earlier, but. You know, he still feels quite disconnected from the human world, you know, you know, in that, in that respect, you know, like mm -hmm. the, the fact he doesn't care about Jill, he doesn't care about the bandits. He even tells them they can you know, run away. Just, you know, there's pretty much nothing to him, you know, none of them mean anything. Yeah, well, I mean, we know what Guts is, cap Guts is capable of, and it's not like these guys are an actual threat. He's just trying to get some information out of them before they ended up dying, you know. And he sort of turns the ghost story thing on them, too, when he tells them, you know, they better get out of here <laughs> oh, yeah. if they want to live. And they, they laugh at him. and Yeah, it's a misunderstanding the, the whole situation. <laughs> <laughs> I love the reversal, too. Just one guy against, you know, six guys, five guys. And uh, he just doesn't even give them any serious thought at all. 
puts him down with one punch with the uh, cannon arm. Uh, it looks like yep. the the, uh, the spike balls hit him in, as well. Uh, his, his own weapon hits him in the face as well. His gut's arm. Yep. <laughs> anyway, gut senses uh, the brand begins to bleed, and then he knows it's actually serious. It's actually going to happen, uh, and the tree comes alive with in dozens and dozens of faces. It's actually a really unique idea. Uh, the, the ritual, I mean, it must have bound souls to this tree. Or do you think the souls gathered here because of guts? I, I get the impression that they're stuck here on this tree and hence the faces on there, you know, even when it's uh, daylight. Yeah. You know, when evil gets, you know, performed in a place like when many people die, that kind of stuff, you know, usually mm-hmm. the, the souls, the specters, you know, stay there. We get also that kind of stuff in Mosgus your room, you know. So I think right. yeah, the fact many people were killed on this tree made it so that you know all those you know souls, you know, uh, say tormented souls, you know, specters and everything stayed inside the tree, and that's what gave birth to it. And, well, and yeah, to, to guts credit, he kind of even before he sensed it with the brand, he had already predicted that it was going to happen just from hearing mm-hmm. the story. Yeah, so he's obviously gotten kind of a he's kind of an expert already at this point. Yeah, and it's, you know. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I actually love that, you know, tree's design. I think it's really quite unique. And, you know, the, the faces and the way it looks, you know, when we get a full shot of it or when the band is run away is really pretty amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a ton of interesting design choices here, particularly when Guts begins hacking at it, you know, it, then it spurts blood from its tree limbs, you know, all those kind of weird, yeah. creepy, surreal things. Mm-hmm. It's really a credit to Mira because, He's showing how the, in this other world, you know, the astral world, how things can begin, begin, things can become warped and unique monsters can result of it. And we've seen how many different variations of a monster like this as a result of souls. You know, the wheeled guys, Zeal mentions the spirits in Moskus' place and all the ones that Guts fights. There's, there's so many. It's not like, you know, in a video game, you get one enemy and like 16 different palette swapped enemies. You know, Mira has individual designs for all these little monsters, you know. Yeah, and actually, like, I, I, I like how, you know, the fight uh, places, you know, some emphasis on the danger of the tree, you know, like, it's not even an apostle, it's nothing, it's nothing that fits into, like, uh, categories or anything like that, yeah. but it's, it's still, you know, conveyed to us as very powerful and dangerous, and I think that reinforces the fact that God's life is pretty, pretty difficult as a Black Souls man, like anything, like I said, the wheels, you know, anything can become a threat and not just an idle threat. So, you know, yeah, and of course that goes for the design, you know, like how it uses it to branches and roots, even the roots to get to, to guts, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. It's, uh, I, I just think it's very original, you know? Absolutely. So guts takes his first slash at it with this very dramatic two page, uh, blur motion thing over directly over Jill's head, which is kind of a visual motif that Mira uses several times in Lost Children, kind of like the proximity of danger to Jill whenever Guts is around, you know, yeah. the, the sword going right over her head, whooshing, making her hair fly up like that. But I particularly I, I like, like, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I like how, you know, uh, it comes to that, you know, uh, I think it makes it, you know, more realistic in a way that, you know, there's a focus on her trembling, you know, like ping herself. She looks like she's, you know, ready to die with that, those tears in her eyes. And then there's that shot, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah I, I think that makes it, you know, even more dramatic. 
I particularly like the next shot, the full page shot as Guts is slashing kind of a upward angle like that. Because of this, like, this interesting 3D effect. If you focus on his feet, you have this, you know, back foot in the, in the background or the, the foreground, another foot in the foreground. It's just, it's a very, uh, there's a lot of depth happening, uh, with the way yeah. it's drawn. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah. And then of course the, the limbs begin to bleed, you know, after they've been struck. I thought that was neat. I mean, I think it's fair to to point out that this is, you know, this return to the Black Swordsman is with Mira now at, you know, sort of the, he's at the peak of his powers when it comes to mm-hmm. uh, illustration. I mean, he gets very experimental during this whole section. It must have been interesting or exciting for him to return to an older design like that, and a design that he'd already had fleshed out. He can come to it with all the skill that he'd gained during the Golden Age. Yeah. And, you know, how would he change it? How would he draw him differently? Because we see... At least to my eyes, Guts is quite a bit bulkier or beefier than he was in volumes one through three. Uh, he's he's changed the way he's, yeah, for sure. He's muscled up a bit. Uh, it just changed the way he approached Guts as a character, you know, in, in a lot of ways, not dramatic ways. Uh, it's not, you know, anachronistic or anything. It's just, he's changed it a little bit. He's a little meatier. Yeah, I think you nailed it by, by saying he's bulkier, you know, I think that really is a, uh, the gist of it, you know, like he, yeah. he looks really, like he was really lanky, you know, I think in the Black Souls Manac, you know, more and, you know, he made it a lot, you know, beefier, like I said. <clears throat> and yeah, and I, I really like the pose with him on the last page, sort of standing in front of Jill in the last page of that particular episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it has a, you know, yeah. very famous line talking about the Dragon Slayer as being, you know, too heavy, yeah. too rough to be called a sword. Uh, the next episode we begin with, um, it's kind of repeating the same line. It's kind of, I, I'm assuming because the last episode was such a big deal coming back after a break like that, like, you know, a two year thing, we want to reiterate some of these things, you know, as they have this dramatic interlude into the scene we just had also saying it had been two years since the eclipse. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. I only mention it mostly cause it's not normal that it happens like that. Yeah. And it basically That's- resets the fight, you know, again, and it's yeah. sort of like, yeah, if you missed it last time, you know, things have really changed. Right. <laughs> yeah. I like that setting, you know, like those trees in fog and, you know, the, the mountains with, you know, yeah. lightning. It looks yeah. really dreary, you know. <clears throat> like every tree looks like it could be a monster tree. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's also a great shot of Guts just when he's, you know, sort of holding the Dragon Slayer and looking at the tree, you know, the one where first we see him from the back and then we uh, get him down at the yeah. bottom of the page where it has all the, the information on the episode. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> he's hacking away at it. He's, you know, doing his, his Guts thing of dodging um, multiple uh, frames per, per panel, you could say. Mm-mm. Super speed dodging. Uh, and of course he ends up, you know, feigning. I mean, does he feign it or does he actually gets, it's, uh, caught up in it? I always get the impression that he's, he's feigning being caught so yeah. that he can have this big, you know, moment where he can stick yeah. it in the guy's mouth, you know? You know, I, I think, you know, like I said earlier, I think this is also, uh, a take back to what happened in, uh, the Black Soulsman arc, you know, and he's, yeah, he's pretending to be stuck or, you know, he must get stuck and instead of just wrestling himself free, he just pretends to be unconscious and, you know, uses a classic, you know, cannon in mouth trick, you know. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just a way for Mira to remind us of, you know, the good old days. The look thought- on Gus's face bef- right before he sticks the gun in his mouth uh, is a kind of upside down smile you can see. The look on his face is quite clear. You know, he's yeah. exactly where he wants to be. Yeah, he knows he's got the trump card. Right. Yeah. 
shoots and, uh, the cannon and uses the recoil to do the spinning yeah. attack. I think this is the first time we see yeah. that. Yeah, the yeah. first time. Yeah. yeah, pretty cool. I like how the the how to say the blow is so strong that you know when the sword is stuck in the ground, it actually throws him down. You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Still getting used to the to that hit. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah, um, Jill is then is, is, is then covered in blood and horrified by what she's seeing. Uh, but then we see it's pretty much over. The spirits begin arising from it, released from the tree, and then the sun arrives, like kind of almost on cue. And it's this very sort of, you know, Jesus-like uh, look for Guts when he, you know, takes his yeah. cape off his head. It looks like a cloak, you know, over there with the sun shining down on him. Yeah. Yep. Very messianic. And, yeah, I like how he comments on the fact it's been actually three days since, uh, you know, he saw Sun. And you see, he looks actually, I don't know, it's like delight, you know, at seeing the, the light of the Sun. And after, you know, that cold demeanor and everything, he looks, that makes him look more human to me. <clears throat> that yeah, panel. sure. Yeah. Uh, we have this kind of comical thing. It's actually... Really what characterizes a lot of this section of the series for me is there's a lot of these small little comic asides um, yeah. during the conviction arc with, you know, this small tree branch rises up and Puck manages to get it with a bloody needle. <laughs> One like a monster tree branch, you know, <laughs> leaping might, out. It might be a – I think it's a root actually, you know. It's one of the yeah. roots that was left. Oh, okay. Not, sure. Not a full branch. But yeah, that's actually, you know, when Puck is introduced, you know, we didn't yeah. see him before. I miss this design of Puck. You know, we see him use the chestnut thing uh, throughout this volume a couple times, mostly in the background elements. But this, I, I miss the good old Puck design. It's been too long since we've seen a full-on Puck. Yeah. Anyway, um, Guts then comments that it was it was you, wasn't it? That, that you know, poking your nose into things. Guts says, uh, and then Puck just you know safely says, "Oh, it wasn't me. I don't know." I like how. Um, Jill is frightened of him at first. Uh, so Puck's holding the bloody needle over his head. And when she screams because she's frightened of him, he drops the needle on his head. And yeah. For several pages, he's bleeding out of his head. <laughs> the panels. It's pretty cute. He's pulling the – we see him on the next page pulling the needles out one by one and they're bleeding out. It's pretty, pretty funny. Yeah. I actually like also that, you know, Mira doesn't waste time. You, you said earlier that this, you know, was a breezy part of the story, but, you know, like, we've just got that panel where, you know, okay, the battle's over, the sun is up, puck arrives, and then boom, you know, uh, Jill, you know, is afraid, and, you know, we introduce the fact there's, you know, Misty Valley elves and something is up, and then we cut to the bandits, you know. Right. The guys are just running scared from what they'd seen, and, they're quickly swarmed by uh, pseudo-elves. Yeah. And, and mist, right. You're right. The mist creeps in first and it kind of creeps them out. And uh, then the, you know, Roshin's people arrive. Uh, their children, I guess. And we get the first full shot of Roshin since, I guess not the first ever, but we see that this is her, her this is the, the apostle that Guts will be facing. One we've seen before in volume 10. Uh, Roshin. She calls this a fairy tale for children. And um, we learn quite a bit about Rusheen in the next two volumes, but I think it's interesting that it's not just her, but Jill as well. There's a connection between these two characters that we'll get to. But, you know, I think this whole section of the series about lost children in particular, what drives it is this, this form of escapism. So Rusheen has crafted her own version of escapism by kind of making her own realm with the power that she's found. 
And, yeah. and, and Jill kind of gravitates towards that, but also gravitates towards what Guts represents. You know, she latches onto him as kind of a way out or something that's foreign to her world. Something yeah. Something that's out of her village. And we see that develop throughout the whole thing. I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of it by mentioning it now, but I just think it's interesting. This whole section is kind of uh, predicated on the on, on escapism. Anyway, we find her. We find her village is. Uh, Gus says multiple times, "It's pretty run down." <laughs> what a dump! Basically, <laughs> actually, the first establishing shot we have once we get into the village, you actually do see a tumbleweed blowing through town. I thought that was yeah. Cool. Yeah, and the fountain is empty, you know, like everything. It does look, you know, really quite random, actually. It's, uh, of course, yeah. it's also a window into the misery of, you know, those villages, you know, like the trees don't have leaves on. There's, it's really looks pretty miserable. Yeah, it's not the first. Actually, it probably is the first. It's the first of a series of rundown, holy shit, I never want to live in Berserk's world villages that Miura has introduced. Enoch being one another and, you know, the town in, uh, you know, the Dreamcast game wasn't exactly chipper either. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe the last pure Black Swordsman adventure, that one too. Oh, yeah, sure. Coco, yeah. Since we were talking about that. Yeah. And <clears throat> says, you know, I think all these small towns, you know, lost in the woods with stuff like that, you know, we often get to see them, uh, how to say, you know, they often face with the supernatural. And I think it's, uh, it's interesting to compare that to, for example, Ritanis, you know, uh, where we're told, you know, you see people, you know, they don't, you know, see elves and that kind of stuff. And they're just, you know, that's a purely human world. Whereas these guys, you know, they know of elves, they are afraid because there's an apostle living nearby, you know, same as, you know, <clears throat> for the snake baron. So, uh, I think it's interesting to put these two things, you know, face to face because often people will say, well, you know, in the golden age arc, we didn't see any many supernatural things, but it's because, you know, these things tend to happen more in, you know, like secluded places, you know, places that are out in the woods, you know, so to speak. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the fringe areas. Yeah. I also yeah. like the aspect of this town and that, you know, when Guts is coming in, you mentioned the tumbleweed and, you know, you see the dried out fountain and, you know, the rickety, you know, <laughs> doors and window covers. It's almost like, you know, Guts coming into an old west town, you know, at high yeah. noon. It's very sort of yeah. romantic and pretty and much that yeah. kind of vibe. Well, he is the though, girl. It's, like, it's the, like true the... grit almost or something. Sure, yeah. That kind of a story. <laughs> He may as well be the man with no name in this particular story, though. Yeah. A man rides in from out of town. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. The mysterious stranger in black. Yeah. The gunslinger right behind him. <laughs> yeah, Guts is... Uh, we finally get a little bit of a glimpse into Jill's home life. And it's interesting that, you know, other than the granny outside petting a cat, everyone else is indoors. You know, it's it's like no one's on the street level Probably because there's been attacks in the past, but also maybe because they're they're spying on guts from from afar. They don't trust him. But every way, the other the point being, everyone's in, indoors at first, and then uh, Jill's yeah. mom comes rushing out. But uh, her dad um, Zipek comes out, uh, still drunk, drinking, wearing his this friends with his fr- his two lovely friends. His, his, yeah, his wearing his friend Jerry Sandusky there, and. Uh... He's <laughs> wearing this goofy-ass helmet. It looks like it so, barely fits him anymore. So, you know, one thing I find interesting is that his mother, you know, her mother, Jill's mother, looks like a, a pretty decent woman, actually, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, right away, as Apex introduced as being, you know, quite, you know, I would say moron, you know. Like, he's pretty, you know, despicable. And his, you know, friends are also... 
you know, like there's an effect Mira does, you know, with the, you know, screen tones where, and from what they say, you know, sorry about last night, and it's, you know, pretty easy. Of course, we get confirmation later on, but it's yeah. pretty easy for the viewer right away to guess at what's happened, you know, at the fact, you know, they've been, you know, drinking and drinking and drinking, and it's because of them that she ran away out in the night and got captured, you know. And, uh, of course, we actually get confirmation that, they, you know, they tried to molest her. So <clears throat> it's pretty, and, you know, we get to see Zepek, you know, uh, you know, hit her, you know, pretty well, quickly. Before that, Guts actually notices that exchange as well. You know, then yeah. saying hi to her, her begins trim- she begins trembling, and then Guts notices it, scratches his head. Yeah. He's yeah. obviously senses something's up, but, you know, throughout this scene, he doesn't want to get involved. He sits yeah. there, he's, you know... Uh, Zepex beating Jill. He just kind of sits there with his arms crossed yeah. until, of course, uh, Puck intervenes. Yeah, again. But, you know, yeah, it's also why I said earlier that, you know, at this point, even though, you know, there's many things in this, you know, uh, chapters that's like that, but at this point, I, I think we can still see, you know, a lot of the, you know, former Black Souls man in guts, you know, like the fact he would just watch, you know, the girl be, you know, hit again and again by a father, you know, over, over, you know, what's essentially bullshit, like the guy's drunk and he's just, you know, babbling about, you know, mindless stuff. And he just, you know, he, he has some kind of, I don't know, what do you guys think of his, you know, facial expression in that shot? Guts, you know. He's just pathetic. He's just a pathetic guy that's uh, probably just drinks every night. I mean... I'm not talking, asking about Zepek, I'm asking about Guts' reaction. Oh, you know? sorry. Shot, yeah, Guts is kind of... Uh, Oh yeah, well like, I think I think he's on edge. He he doesn't he doesn't want to intervene, but he's also part of him probably wants to. He's probably conflicted, I would guess. Well, I mean, it's yeah. you could see like awkwardness, you know, on the first page where he sees him and he sees, you know, he can tell that Jill is, you know, afraid of you know his friends and uncomfortable. And then when he starts beating her and rambling, and then hitting his wife, you know, guts is just sort of, you know, you can see him. He looks kind of disgusted. But it's uh, then Puck intervenes, obviously, and mm-hmm. once again drags him into the middle. Before yeah. that, Jill actually has some important kind of uh, backstory here, where she's talking about uh, the reason things are this way. You know, the fact that the town was uh, there was an old battle that these guys were involved in, and you know, whenever we see Zepek saying, "I was drinking with my buddies, talking about the glory days," you know, and Jill clarifies the fact that their glory days were them losing a battle, you know. So they yeah. basically had like one <laughs> shining moment of this guy's life and it was a defeat. And uh I mean and maybe he was a, you know, maybe there was something to him in those days. But, you know, it's like I feel like he's kind of like he was the captain of the football team in high school, but here he is still wearing his helmet, you know, and drinking with his old buddies, you know, and his wife is obviously regretting her life yeah. decisions. <laughs> I mean, well, it's I don't interesting know. though the 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 menagerie of uh, of consequences of an event like that. We're talking about like a decades old event. Actually, I would yeah. put the event at Jill's age. Actually, is when this happened. Yeah, po- yeah. Actually, you know, we know from other events that it happened around the time exactly uh, before before Roshin was born. So in uh, you know, it makes sense. So yeah, it's probably what maybe twelve, fourteen mm-hmm. years. But the consequences of that are still felt, you know, on a daily basis in this rundown town because of that. It was such, such a cataclysmic time. And it was just, you know, a roving thing. So we've seen kind of the front lines approach to warfare in the Berserk world. And here we're seeing the aftershocks of, of, a, of a life like that. Yeah. You know? It's interesting. It, it, it also gives us a look like, you know, for example, when we saw 
Casca's family, you know, in our flashback, yeah, you know, they also totally. had pretty miserable lives. And, you know, that's why I said earlier that even though this is, uh, yeah, this is an adventure, you know, you know, guts and pack, you know, versus an apostle and stuff, but there's actually quite a lot of commentary, you know, about stuff you don't, you don't usually get to see in, you know, many stories like that, you know, like it's not really necessary to the main plot, but Absolutely. it's, you know, it gives depth to the world, you know, it's something Mira does very often, you know, adding that depth. Elements like this you generally kind of see only in like kind of literature, to be honest. Of this kind of stuff, generally is not approached by manga. Yeah, and you know, honestly, even like fantasy literature, I, I, I'm, I can't think of one where there's like that kind of development, you know, uh, because it's done in passing. But you know, still we get quite a lot from it, you know, even though it's not something Mira lingers on for long. Right. Well, it's That's just a lot something of so. Something so real and down to earth, too. I mean, it's like when you think of, you know, yeah, manga or fantasy, you know, it would be like, what were the consequences in The Hobbit of the elves and the dwarves not getting along after a war? Something. It's kind of, it's still kind of, you know, unless you're into that kind of ridiculous and sort of otherworldly. And whereas this is very, yeah, it's what happens to a rundown town. Well, it's grounded. There's some rea- there's a yeah. reality to it. There's a exactly. hint of reality to it. And, and quite and it's a lot so of... focused on like the individuals. Yeah, and a lot of issues are touched on at once. You know, like you know the fact he's a drunkard. You know, Zepek. The fact his buddies. Are, yeah, the fact yeah he's crippled. His buddies. You know, try to you know rape Jill. You know, like pretty much every night. But he doesn't do a thing. And his wife. Who's actually, you know, comes across as a decent woman, as I said. She also doesn't do a thing. So, you know, all these things, you know, like the life of a small village where there's this kind of stuff goes on, you know, it's, you know, it's very, very real. And it's something like Mira doesn't shy away from showing it. It's also, you know, a thing is that there's really not much that Mira shies away from showing. And that's also what makes the story so, so raw and deep and real. <clears throat> So Puck uh, has intervened and Guts gives him up immediately saying, you know, Zepic <laughs> points a finger at Guts and Guts immediately point, pulls up Puck saying, it was this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it turns out that wasn't really the smart way to defer. He yeah. really should have said, yeah, it was me. <laughs> Get your hands off her. So what, everyone what, immediately reacts. Go ahead. What's, what's incredible is that Guts looks completely, you know, like he's puzzled. He's as puzzled as Puck as to why yeah. they're so scared, you know. They're, you know, hysterical. And, you know, he's like, I love the look on his face. You know, he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the dynamic between Guts and Puck here really is a highlight for me in scenes like this. And Guts says something casual to Puck as he's holding him. And the townspeople come out with pitchforks. And Guts says... You know, does your kind swarm about and eat crops? You know, there's actually this um, <laughs> this, rec- this recurring joke that you know yeah. Guts always calls him a bug, but the recurring joke that he's like a pest, that he's like yeah. the kind that eats, you know, devours crops and yeah, and that I like that Guts is looking for like a logical explanation, like do they eat crops <laughs> or disturb livestock or something? Why do they hate you so much? <laughs> yeah, so they ask, they they demand Puck, and Guts is, has no problem giving him up, but he wants to know why. I thought that was funny as well. Like, yeah, grin, grin on his face. But then uh, Granny comes along, and it's clear that he just dodged, right? He didn't like stick his foot out or anything. No, I see. I think he tripped no, out. Think he, does he? Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, I, I see the action line up. there. Right. 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 Well, she also could have just tripped, you know, <laughs> over him. Either way, she tripped. Yeah. And it's not a. Either it's way, not a it, good look. 
It looked like he did it to her, of course, to these morons. So, well, well the thing is, he just like he dodged and yeah. he yeah, just he doesn't don't... know he didn't know who was attacking her. He see he doesn't realize till she's on the ground. Yeah, and you know that's when he you know it's the dark horse translation. I screwed up, you know. You yeah. know? But He's but the thing is, the thing is, uh, they are actually pretty aggressive, you know. Like I mean, you know, they are not ready to talk, and even the woman actually tries to struck struck him strike him in the back. So. Like, even yeah. though she fell on the floor, you know, I mean, it's, he can only be blamed for having dodged her attack, you know, sure. and tripped her. The point and was like it changed the, the atmosphere. Calculus, you know, maybe they'll calm down if I kill a couple of them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's, that's funny. very, you know, collated of him. And I also like how, you know, when it actually gets real, he just, you know, puts puck in the patch. So even though he's often, how to say, he's very casual and always, you know, saying like, he might kill him or he doesn't mind, you know, but actually when, you know, push comes to show that he just, you know, uh, he's not ready to just let him be killed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of just, he chooses a different target instead of two people, he smashes some barrels, you know, shows them the full length of the Dragon Slayer, which really should be enough to quell any kind of rebellion here. And Yeah, uh, it's actually the fact that Zepic, you know, sort of continues the charge after that is impressive. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. What, what well, do they I, so hope to do with them hoes? You know, yeah, well, actually, it might be brave or stupid is the question I, there. <laughs> I think I think being drunk, you know, is helping yeah. a lot here. <laughs> yeah, does he, does he fully comprehend what's going on? Of course, you know, Guts, like, you know, Guts thought, maybe if I kill some of them, they'll calm down and well, fuck. You also you know, notice that Zepak is telling them to, you know, go after him, but yeah. he doesn't seem to be running around himself. Yeah. So, Don't let him get you know. away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go get him, guy. I'm just I'm right behind you. <laughs> just, you know. So guts escapes, and they're left to wonder what it was about you know Puck that caused this reaction. And Puck talks for a while about um, you know sometimes maybe maybe we steal some cows, but that's just part of what we do. We're mischievous, you know. No one's supposed to care about that. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty funny. Like the yeah. way he's drawn over here. Yeah. When he's actually getting a little dark there, you know, and he's yeah. plotting, you know, like burning <laughs> some of their houses down. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Jill finds him, of course, and she tells him to go to the windmill, uh, but Guts warned her not to come. I like the the, the, the the landscape. Mirror's landscapes are freaking phenomenal. I love every chance we get to see these things. Yeah, it's pretty pretty damn cool. You know, these are the kind of stuff I wish he made a color illustration of. You know, absolutely. Yeah, it's so desolate too. It's just like barren. See a couple a couple weeds out there, and that's it. It's just dry and dead out there. Yeah. Anyway, small detail. I also like the shot of Puck and Guts kind of doing their version of wrestling with each other, where Puck's pulling <laughs> oh, his yeah. face, Guts has his thumb, and Puck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and as soon as Jill comes up, you know, he's our boss, you know, just, you know, like Puck is waving and Gus is just smiling at her. You know, it's, it's <laughs> oh, <yeah>. very, <laughs> I, I think, you know, this, this chapter, another thing that's really great is, you know, their interaction together, you know, the, the two of them, it's really, their relationship, you know, uh, how to say, quiets down after that. Yeah, there's, and, uh, uh, there's an entire other level here between them, you know, all of a sudden there was <laughs> in the Black Swordsman arc. Yeah, and if, if there's yeah. anything I, I, I was to say, I wish for, you know, in the future is a, a return of that, you know, uh, companionship, you know, that friendliness between them. Yeah, I mean, Puck for now gravitates to Isidro and that's kind of is usually with Shirke and that's pretty much it. Uh, not much well, you know, between those two. I think uh, by just by virtue of, you know, they're having you know, more people in the group, he's had to make space for the others to develop, you know. And, uh, yeah. 
but yeah, it's something like I, I, I really miss seeing his character get more, you know. I might actually, I think I might write Mira to, to say that to him. I never <laughs> did, but not really. I, I actually, I can't remember if I did before or not. I'd have to ask Puerto. Yeah, I, I, I knew you weren't sarcastic when you said that. Um, I, uh, I feel like that's coming though. I feel like Elfhelm, we're going to get more of Puck and. Yeah. If anyone was going to accompany Puck, well, when we find out would... Puck is, you know, like the crown prince, you know, or... yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's what I've been hoping anyway. Hoping the prodigal son returns. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, it's not it's not really impossible at all. Huh? I no. mean, the, yeah. the very name, uh, you know, would point mm-hmm. at it, you know, Puck. But uh, who knows? What does Puck mean? Like the name itself? Does it oh. have like a meaning? Puck being a character in Shakespeare's. Um, Midnight, uh, oh god, what's the name of it? Fuck. Uh, Midnight's Night, what the fuck, Midsummer man? Midsummer Night's Dream? <laughs> yeah. That's the one, thanks. Midsummer Night's Dream. Alright, alright. But, uh, yeah, and I, th- I think the name is actually older than that. I think it's, uh, I mean, the, the, the play itself is older than the Shakespeare version. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think, uh, Puck is like some kind of traditional name for, I can't remember if it's Scottish or Irish or from, you know, Wales, but it's, uh, from folklore, you know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, the story itself involves the, uh, the the king of the elves Oberon and yeah. Huck being the kind of a mischievous quality or a character within that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, literally, uh, it became where it becomes you know it became like a bad verb, you know, or verb or, you know you can be puckish. Yeah, oh, pretty yeah. much. Okay. It's it's uh, yeah, it's uh, some kind of synonymous with you know sprites or fairies, uh, and uh, there's another name for him. Uh, I think it's uh, Robin. Robin sure. something. Yeah, I can't remember. Robin of Loxley. Yeah. That's, the, no. that's Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, so that's not the one. I'm yeah. I know you Robin, mean though. Robin Goodfellow. Okay, that's, that's the one, it. sure. But yeah, uh, okay. yeah, yeah, there's uh, many other things. And and yeah, it's uh what uh well, yeah, interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. Well, you know a lot of things in uh in Berserk actually from, you know, uh Inspired by folklore, that's one of the really the main sources for for Mura. Is that goes from the Kelpie to many many things, you know, like many things in Berserk are from you know folklore. It, that means European folklore and also Indian folklore, as you as you might know, you know, yeah, before yeah. the Makara and Pishasha yeah, and all that the stuff. Kushan, yeah, yeah. It's one of the things that actually annoys me when people find some other fantasy series that say, "Oh, well, this was influenced by Berserk." Like, well. Maybe, but it's more like maybe they're using old sources just like Mira is using old sources. It all comes from the same source, and so you get similar yeah. interpretations of those, you know? Well, just like people would say, like, I don't know, Berserk is inspired by, you know, I don't know, the Lord of the Rings, even though or, that's... Or Final Fantasy Seven. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is that, you know, a lot of this comes from, you know, folklore and mythology, and, uh, and Mira's pretty, you know, I, I often got the feeling... That he's really trying with Berserk to craft the ultimate, you know, fantasy series, you know, and uh, it, 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 that's why he's got so many inspiration from so many, you know, classic, you know, uh, mythological and folkloric, you know, sources. <clears throat> we get this uh, introspective scene here with with Jill, kind of revealing the the nature of her fears and problems with this village, her shitty life. Look how the yeah. whole the whole scene is framed by black panels, kind of setting the scene for this. But uh, you know, Zepex drinking again uh, at night, and Jill's just watching through the slats in her door, 
that she knows what's coming, right? And so he's beating uh, his wife as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, for not disciplining Jill enough, you know. And then the the creepy friend, where you have to wonder: are these guys even genuinely friends with Zepic, or are they just trying to get with his daughter? You know, like because he's such a you know shithead dad, you know, who's not not minding the store yeah. at all. And uh, yeah, yeah, the guy says he's going to you know go for a piss and just tries to check to lock the door. You know, I find that you know I think it's very courageous. To depict it that way. I mean, it's just a small, you know, thing. It lasts only a few panels, just two pages, maybe just one page, you know, we would say. But, you know, the fact when you see her, you know, closing her eyes and holding mm-hmm. the bars, you know, he's rattling the door and just leaving then. And she puts on the cloak, you know. It's very, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a form of social commentary. It's just two pages. But, you know, to me, they go a long, long way. And like Walter said earlier about escapism, you know. When she takes on the cloak and puts it on her shoulders, you know, maybe wishing to have that strength, that kind of strength. It's very, you know, I think it's a, there's no words, but it says a lot. I think it's, she wants to be closer to a world that's not here, you know. Guts represents yeah. the world outside and she wants yeah. to be anywhere, anywhere but here. And also, but I also, mean, it's obviously like, yeah, the escapism of maybe wanting Guts kind of power, but also the comfort it gives her, you know, the sure. reassurance. You know, he put that, you know, he actually showed her, you know, kindness. And to sort of, you know, put that back on her shoulders. And you're right. And actually, I never quite realized it, but that the top of that page when when the door is rattling, it's like a it's like a new, you know, unseen form of terror in the Berserk world. Because usually, you know, violence and and things that are terrifying in Berserk are you know usually cranked to eleven. But here's a very mundane, real world form of terror. You know. I'm like it's interesting yeah. that they yeah the tension this way. involved in that too yeah there's nothing supernatural here at all you know and it's not even anything you know it's not the it, you know it's the prevention of the act it's the defense right. against it you know that's so you know that's terrifying you know that you know the what if you know and yeah. it makes you think you know obviously this isn't the first time you know of course she she has that log in her room for a reason yeah anyway um. The sun is just starting to come up when she, you know, it looks like you, actually, you can actually see as the darkness, you know, leaves the, the, the horizon there. She's walking in the, in the morning. She opens the door right as the spirits begin to be, uh, decimated by the light and see Guts asleep. And Puck asks her to, uh, let him sleep a little longer. But he doesn't get that much sleep. Uh, she actually, sorry, before that, she actually has a little moment with him. She returns his cloak to him. I thought that was cute. And she kind of sits next to him, staring at him. And she actually, you know, I'm not making up the fact that that's how, this is how Jill views Guts. She says it very straightforwardly that this man from another, a strange world, someplace that's not here. Yeah. Pretty clear why she idolizes or admires Guts. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how she calls him the Black Swordsman. And a few panels before, she calls him Mr. Swordsman. So, well, the I black guess. swordsman itself is a very generic term. It's not like a yeah. specific thing. It's a swordsman that wears black. And she, it's not like, you know, like in Japanese, you know, there's no articles like there would be. So it's not like she says, you know, the black swordsman right. might be right. a black swordsman or just, you know, swordsman eat black. You know, it's a, uh, it's just a matter of how you, you, you do that. So I mean, okay. I think it okay. plays into just sort of how iconic a character he is, you know, in this garb and with, you know, the same way she described the sword as it was described before, as anyone would sort of see it, you know, he's this black swordsman with a sword that just looks like a slab of iron that's bigger, as big yeah. as a man. It's right. all just, very, 
you know, yeah. well-designed iconography. It's the same, you know, you know, reason that he's a swordsman because he's got that. So he's not just a warrior or a knight or anything like that. He's, a, you know, he's yeah. a swordsman because his sword is like the iconic thing about him. The sword and also, and- his his name is his description. Where it's not like Guts was going around saying, you know, I mean, we, <laughs> he does later, you know, when he goes to that bar. But it's not like he started out probably saying, "I'm the Black Swordsman." Right. Hello, you know, right. I mean, that's yeah. just how it's what he looks like. You know, it's yeah. universal. It's right. how he came to be known, yeah. Yeah. Just like cool. before he used to be the 100 man slayer, you know, it's yeah. something yeah. people give to you, not something you take. <clears throat> uh, moving on, Gut sexually wakes with a uh, incubi about to uh, give him some bad dreams. But... I believe that would be incubus, you know. The... Oh, incubi be plural, sorry, incubus. Yeah. incubus. I, I'm, I'm just so reluctant to say the word incubus because of the band, mostly. <laughs> oh. Oh, well, come on. Come on. Like you know, it's another one of those things, you know, where this predates, you know, yeah, shitty bands. I know. So I you don't have to. You can't deny <laughs> the impact Incubus had, though, on the, on the language. Well, you know, I can deny it because, you know, I'm not from, I'm also from a strange other world, you know, you so are. I can't, I, I'm, I'm able to do that. <clears throat> I'm, I'm cuddling up to you right now, just like Jill's cuddling up to guys. <laughs> well, that's a, well oh. you know, Incubi might be right. I mean, it looks like there's maybe just some rocks up there that it's coming down from, but it could also be, it looks like there might be a bunch of Incubi up there if you look carefully mm. at the, oh, well, at oh yeah. Panel yeah, that's coming that's down. Cool. It looks like there might like be other one. ones. It looks like there's yeah. the same shape with more eyes. So it's like, this was like the bravest a, one to get the Batman. Yeah, it's like there's a, <laughs> or the dumbest one. It looks like there's a, like a pack of rats, you know, yeah. up there. <laughs> you know, this is, and yeah, it was just coming down to harass him and that's when he, uh, <laughs> wakes up. To give him a few good dreams. Yeah. <laughs> and Gus actually comments it's been four days since he had a good night of sleep. Oh, and you know, there is another one because it, it knocks Puck off the... Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not the first time Puck's been distracted on being on you know guard duty, basically. And yeah. I just love that even the, the Incubus is drawn in a totally different style, too. You know, it's just, this is Puck's world. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny that he doesn't... You know, like maybe he can't draw power from Puck, so he just, you know, <laughs> like rolls pushes him down him. the place. Yeah, he just pushes him off and is rolling yeah. his eyes at him, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Gus notices the wounds on Jill. I'm assuming it's from the beating she took in the previous scene. But uh, it kind of hits him. It hits home for him now. Because, you know, he had, a, he had a similarly bad childhood, so maybe it's bringing yeah. some of those... Things to mind. Maybe maybe he's also feeling guilty for not intervening, but yeah, I, I, know, I, I, I get a very introspective look from him in that panel. Yeah, I think himself. it's it's, uh, it's those two things. Is uh, what it evokes, you know. Like at the same time, I think uh, the fact he also had a pretty shitty, you know, childhood himself, and the fact he didn't intervene, and uh, I think he feels mm-hmm. bad for that, you know. So the, those two elements are pretty pretty clear to me. So Jill. Um, Wakes up after Puck hits her on the head from falling, and she kind of lays out some background about the Misty Valley, about how it appeared, you know, several years ago, and now there's um, been attacks on villages, and you know, livestock are missing. And they're saying um, the Misty Valley was once a place inhabited by elves, but recently it's come to be a, a kind of terror because of that. Yeah. And everyone says they see elves uh, before the attack and after the attacks. So elves will get blamed for these things that are happening. But, you know, Puck's noting that, you know, these things, they shouldn't be synonymous like this. You know, but that's not how elves act. But uh, then, you know, she asks, Jill is a little bit more descriptive. 
about what it is that people see and they go, Oh, they have wings. They are small. They look like humans and they are glitter glow. And Gus is like, well, that's the match, you know, <laughs> dead on description of what puck is. So I love, I love that, you know, har- that harmful bug is how dark horse translates it. The, the sticker yeah. has been labeled on him. It's like, he's a pest. Yeah. It's what guts. Uh, yeah. Always calls him. So, right. <laughs> so during this though, um, is that, the um, Jill describes how humans are attacked and eaten by these uh, these elves, and then she gets like a little smile on her face. Then that they carry off children is what she's saying, and she smiles actually at this. Yeah, what did you guys a, make of that? Uh, it's a very strange smile. I think one of the panels in the series that's uh, almost hardest to you know interpret to me. It's a uh, very you know, and the look on her eyes on the upper panel is also very you know mm-hmm. particular. I think I think she's almost you know she's. Almost wishful for it to happen to her, you know, because she, she just, you know, fed up and tired with her life. And uh, of course it must also evoke, you know, uh, Roshin. So even though she doesn't know it's her at this point. So I I I don't know, but. I think it's a combination of that. There's, you know, sort of the wistful elements and the fanciful ones, but it's also, I think it touches on sort of the mania Mm -hmm. that people kind of experience with this kind of evil. You know, we see it in uh, Farnese as well. I mean, it's almost yeah. like it's it's like the mind almost being in a place where it, you know, you're susceptible to possession, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. I was uh, about to say actually that it's also I think there's also some element of hysteria to it, you know. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's yeah, but you know that's uh, something like that. That look in her eyes, you know, that kind of. I think you're dead on with you know Farnese. It's also that kind of you know crazy stare and you know some kind of you know crazy smile on her face. So I think there's those two elements, you know, maybe. One induced by the other or vice versa, but I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a very clear explanation. I think you guys did a better job than what I was going to do. I, I was actually going to say that maybe death in itself would be like a form of escapism for her. You know, anything would be better than this, but that seems a little too fantastical for what we're actually seeing here. Well, I also well, think it, she, she makes a distinction between them eating people and carrying off children. Yeah. So maybe she's or she already it seems like she might already recognize the sort of yeah that the you know maybe that's a that's a relief you know that's an escape for the children. Mm-hmm. Could be. Yeah. yeah. And she yeah I think we can tell you can tell in the in that scene you know generally speaking she knows something's not right. You know like she knows there's legends about the elves and people say so but she can tell something's wrong and she knows it's related to children and her friends disappeared you know even though we are not told yet. So I think all those elements combine to make a very specific background for her, you know, uh, particularly. It's also interesting to note for the reader that, you know, we're confused too. We've seen these things that don't look exactly like elves, but are called elves. And, and you know, we're kind of in the dark about elves as well. We just know about Puck pretty much. So yeah. it's very mysterious but, to the reader as well. But they, they do look different, you know. I mean, they do, I, re- sure. I, I remember when I first saw them, like, you know, I knew something was off, and I think you know the reader naturally tends to think so as well. Like they, they do look more like bugs than uh, than elves, and of course they are evil and everything. So it's a how to say at this point it's a, it's a mystery. But I think the reader kind of gets much like Jill that something's off. You know, something's not. These, those are not normal elves, especially since their leader is like a full sized you know adult. Yeah, and a, yeah. And, a, and an apostle that we've seen before, and in the yeah. company of other apostles. But That's but true. then again, I think this might also take us back to you know like the kind of folklore tales or the kind of stuff you might find is 
in you know fantasy or fantastical stories where you know you've got all these elves and a, a big queen of elves. You know, like I mean, it's even something you see in uh, in the Zelda series, for example. You know, where the yeah. the fountain queen of elves, you know, are big, you know, full sized, and you know, they even though I think in the Zelda games they're called fairies. So <clears throat> yeah, in the in the DVD series interview with Miura, I think it's 2003 or four or so, he talks about this section of the series saying that um, he remembers when Arthur Conan Doyle was fooled by thinking that elves existed by that trick photography. In yeah. the early 1900s, late 1800s, I can't remember. There was some trick photography. People were fooled that into thinking the elves existed because of these photos that were being distributed. And uh, that, he said he wrote something like that into a story in one of his volumes, but he couldn't remember the volume number. I'm assuming he's talking about yeah. the discrepancy between real elves and fake elves in, in this particular part of the series. You know, I'm imagining that's what he was referring to. This particular moment here, not knowing whether they're real or not. I think he might also have been inspired by the hysteria, the historicals, you know, you know, people, you know, I mean, the fact, you know, there, you know, there, there was claims that the elves I'd been seen that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And not knowing, not, not knowing what to make of it, but calling it elves. Right. That's yeah. What, that's what I'm saying. And, and the, it's a way it affected, you know, like those villagers. <clears throat> sure. So at that, right at that point, when you see, you know, Jill smiling, uh, the enigmatic smile got senses the brand. And at the same moment, I like how it's intercut here. Yeah. Because we're seeing this light on the horizon come closer as the brand begins to bleed more. And then Guts has this very dramatic storming out of the barn or the windmill, you know, with his fist yeah. to look up. And this beautiful, one of my favorite shots in this whole volume is this, his back uh, with the cape out, outstretched and then these lights, you know, glowing lights heading towards the village in the, in the, in the background. It's just really well uh, designed, all the different layers that are used there. And uh, Guts knows the direction, you know, he finally he has a target again, you know, when yeah. we see him come, kind of come alive. <laughs> During those times, yeah, he he knows they are not elves, and he he knows, yeah, he you know. says they ain't pesky little elves, and uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, that's I, I, one of the best evil guts faces. Uh, oh yeah, probably yeah. in the whole series to this day. He, he looks like a straight up villain in that yeah. panel. Yeah, you know, he looks so, like, like you know, a madman. Yeah, you found one bomb, but you won't find <laughs> all thirteen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's also interesting because uh, a lot of people when they want to have avatars for guts. They'll probably gravitate towards this image, like even yeah. for like memes or things like that. I think there was a member on the board um, that used to have this who, who was like a regular or something. Like not I said, my, man, people really dig time. this section yeah. of the series. People really dig yeah. this guts and this particular slice yeah. of guts. It's also because you know, yeah, this kind of you know that aspect, that facet of guts, you yeah, know, the manacle look. Yeah, it it makes it easy for them to simplify the character. You know, there's a lot of people who view Guts, well, the view even of the series, you know, as a a very simplified and very, you know, I would say... It's a killing machine. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's almost unqualitative, you know, and it definitely doesn't do justice where they just see Guts as some kind of uncaring, you know, badass, you know, that evil guy who just you know, chew on, you know, children's intestine. You know, that's that's what <laughs> yeah. that's Jose you gets. You know, like there's a, you know that panel. You know, that's Jose view him. That's who and they think he was, and they, they believe that he was always like that, except to a point he changed into something else. Whereas well, it's you know, actually not at all the case. <clears throat> well, yeah, the irony is that this panel is actually sort of rare and unrepresentative of him. Yeah. You know, indeed, and, it's. It's the exception and not the rule, yeah. but that, you know, there are some people who don't 
see like that. Even I think even after all these times, there are still people. When is you know, he? I, when is he going to eat Shirke's intestines? Is what they're <laughs> yeah. wondering. You know. <laughs> well, you know, the, the people wondering when you know, yeah, God is going to kill Isidro and Shirke and all those guys and just. Go back to killing apostles and Griffiths and the God End, you know, just, you know, just <laughs> when all is of them. He gonna know, go berserk already. <laughs> yeah. All, all of them in a row, you know, he'll just kill everything, all of them in a row, you know, one by one. You can, no, you can just fight. stab through all of them at once with the Dragon Slayer and like a yeah. shish kebab. I, I think, yeah, that's what, you know, that's probably what some people want, you know, just him running into an endless corridor and, you know, killing, you know, people again and again and again. And that's, you know, yeah. <laughs> I love these tiny little panels. Again, heightened action, and yet Mira slows it down for the panels here uh, with all the different looks inside the houses. Yeah. You know, the shot of the family closing the shutters in the inside of the mother holding her child, you know. Yeah, the yeah. dog. You know, I, I love the dog. Poor you know, dog. Just oh, yeah. Barking. You know, that's, you know, I, I think that's great. You know, this kind of small detail, it just makes it feel all the more real. <clears throat> Yeah. And just the fact that they turn the dog into at first Swiss cheese, and then it just disintegrates completely as they go yeah. through it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty horrifying looking. And the yeah. livestock and the pig mat, pig face falls. Uh, yeah, just pretty gross stuff all around. And the and things, you know, closing yeah, the windows and then they're coming through the windows anyway. It's ugh, terrifying. Yeah. The kid seeing his parents uh, swarmed. Yeah. The- the parents are just disintegrated. You know, you could see them crawling through the the eye sockets and oh, the God, nose yeah. and the skeleton yeah. mouth. Yeah. And the and the thing is that we don't get to see the details, but I think it's pretty clear they are just eating them. You know, they are yeah. not just you know mm-hmm. they are they are just eating them. Like you know, uh, you would expect a swarm of you know evil ants to you know or wasps or something. <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of like piranhas, like getting at meat or like bone yeah. or something. Yeah, mm. it is like that. So we actually see them transform later on. They kind of have two forms themselves, which is interesting. So yeah. we know they're are demi-apostles, quasi-apostles, pseudo-apostles, excuse me. But uh, they're pretty unique in that they've been – like their forms are super small, right? And they have yeah. two kind of transformation modes in themselves. They're pretty interesting. Well, the process – even the process to transform them is, is quite, you know, involved. You know, I mean – we don't often see, you know, like, you know, cocoons like that or anything. It's usually much more straightforward. But yeah. it's, like, it's right out of Alien. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. well, it's, you know, I mean, the cocoons are held up. I don't know how to describe it. I think Mira just, you know, took inspiration from, uh, Insect from insects. I mean, yeah, a lot of different much. things, yeah. Yeah. Somebody else lead this section. I don't have any notes well, moving forward, so. you know. Well, we see Zepek still is, uh, you know, his old self who's beating his <laughs> wife for suggesting that they, they go, you know, care for their daughter. Yeah. yeah. So just, you know, the, the very idea of going out to, you know, rescue his daughter, you know, is so revolting that he would slap his wife in the face, you know. And, uh, and he just thinks, you know, she deserves, you know, what's coming to them. Well, to in his defense, it, it, you know, it's not the rescuing of his daughter he thinks is a bad idea. It's just the going outside, which is a very bad idea. So, yeah, of course. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. And despite this, though, you know, what upsets him most of all is that his luck's just so rotten. Yeah, he's you know, got what has oh, happened yeah. to me? Luck, yeah, he, he's, yeah, he's still complaining. Yeah. And so, uh, so we see a boy, you know, who is running out because he's afraid, you know, because, uh, Hood says, uh, his parents were just eaten in front of him. And, uh, as, you know, so they are closing, uh, closing up on him, we see guts appear, still yeah, as badass yeah. as ever. 
He gives him almost like the Arnold, like, you know, get down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, busts out the dragon, fly swatter. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a pretty amazing shot, actually. That whole thing, his appearance, you know, you know, when he shows up in black like that, it reminds me of volume 22 when, uh, Erica finds him in the woods, you know, that kind of, you know, black silhouette. Yeah. 17. And, uh, and yeah, oh yeah, it's 17, right. And, uh, and then, yeah, the, the flies, what else? That's, uh, <laughs> that's actually. And I mean, the, yeah, the coolest part is you, you see them squished on there, you know, in little humanoid yeah. shapes, <laughs> and some you could see half, like his legs on there and his body's flying off. Yeah. You yeah. Know? But it's the almost... coolest part is when he sort of, he pivots and he swings it around behind him, and you just see, like, the blood and the goo flying off. Yeah. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty gross, and, and that uh, definitely gives them pause, you know. I love that, yeah, the, they've stopped in their tracks. As they admire and he just has that insane, you know, serious look on his face, you know, that he means business. Yeah. yeah. So He's into it. We move on and, uh, you know, to a, a new episode and it's, uh, like, you know, I forgot who said so earlier. I think it was you, Griff, but it's, it's very, a very Western like shot, you know, where you see people behind their, you know, closed windows and doors who yeah. are looking up at the guy in the deserted streets and, you know, wondering why, why is he doing that? What's happening and everything. And, uh, well, you know, they get serious, and, uh, I think that that's the point where What's the, the uh, sorry, right before the, um, right as the episode comes back, right, and we have this, is the, see, down the corridor shot of guts, the bottom right panel is a shot yeah, of a the, hand with, yeah, what, what is hand. that? I think it's the, you know, dead, one of the dead it's, parents of the yeah, boy. Yeah, I think that's like yeah. a carcass, okay. you know, that he's sort of, you know, he can kind of make it out. Yeah. It's, uh, or at least that's, he's getting that vibe. You know, there's probably blood in the air. Right. Okay. So, I guess I guess I was just wondering when it is that, that the children begin coming back, the bodies of the and children. I think, yeah, and yeah. I think it's also he recognizes kind of the danger here. And, I mean, obviously he uh, he's also enjoy- <laughs> taking sort of a perverse enjoyment of this as he has the, you know, elves huh, line. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> well, he yeah, sees like, their true form. He realizes their. Yeah, he yeah. yeah he sees that they're not really elves, but it's also I think he also kind of enjoys. Well, you, you know, know, at this point, you know, like the Black Soulsman, you know, he and you know, killing Apostle is probably the thing he enjoys most in the world, you know. So, yeah. Uh, and and yeah, and and at this point, it's interesting to know that he still doesn't know their children, you know, children apostles, right. which is a, a kind of a twist actually. So yeah. and we as uh, <coughs> readers also don't know that yet. We know they are monsters. We know they are associated with evil or anything like that. But you know, it could be like the tree. It could be, I don't know, something we don't know about. So that just revealed later on. And then yeah, we, we need- have a moment that's sort of very dark gray, where he uh, he starts conversing with the kid. Almost, he's almost preying on him. You know, he makes this sort of deal. You know, you want revenge for your parents, or you know, do you want to go with them? And when the kid shakes his head, you know, that's all he needs to sort of say, yeah. "Okay, well, help me out then." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as, uh, Puck and uh, Jill return to town. That's where we see what Guts has in mind. So oh, basically, guts guts intuits that they're looking for the kid. Yeah, yeah it's not he's, he's, because yeah. Jill yeah. had said that they carry off children, and, and they also, you know, he also saw them. Like he saw the kid running out and the yeah. bugs, you know, coming after him. So he knows they were after him from that, you know. Plus, I and, guess uh, he saw he saw that other panel with the parents like dead through that right. at the beginning. The kid survived somehow. Yeah, yeah. Right. So then guts takes off. Uh, I love the just the the, the entire. The visual of this plan here, the kid 
just kind of hanging by a thread as Guts sprints through the town with this swarm of, you know, elves behind him. Yeah. And, you know, the shot of the kid as they go through the awning or the arch, you know, just barely missing his head. I thought that was a cool shot as well. Yeah. And he's very, you know, like before that, Guts is very, how to say, like he's not tender with the boy, you know, like he, the boy is yelling and, you know, Guts is clearly using him as bait. The people, you know, inside the houses are revolted. It's very, you know, it's two, say, two visions of the world that are colliding here, you know, between Guts, you know, as some kind of secluded, you know, lonely warrior who's only cares for killing the monsters and, you know, the people who just, you know, have more cowardly approach, I would say, you know, to the whole thing. As uh, Puck puts it, you know, there he goes again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's also worth noting that when he finally disposes of them, it's not down out in the open. You know, yeah. it, he does it in the secluded barn. He's, he knows it's a contained area. He can get them all in one shot. Yeah. But one before shot. all that happens, I like how that we see their second form. You know, they they trans they transform into these more bee or wasp like shapes. Yeah. One, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is they ha- they do talk. We we have several several speech bubbles from them, and they're always talking about wanting to play. And they actually, at this point, they're saying, oh, is playtime over? Is that the end? Is that over already? So they're, they're acting like little kids. You yeah, know? and then they're yeah. bored, and they're, they're going to finish it off is what the, the implication here is when they're transforming. Right. Yeah. And, and, and Guts seems very proud of himself for recognizing, you know, like, yeah, some kind of vermin, I knew it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so he ends up using he swats a couple of them. Actually, he looks like he demolishes the the, yeah, the frame he, of the building, and then he uses yeah. some re- reserve black powder. Looks like yeah, I think he's just yeah he's making the building come down so that they can't escape and mm-hmm. just burning it off. So it's uh well he just you know drew them into a trap. I think it also shows that while many people you know have a vision of guts where he's just you know reckless fighter fighting with rage all the time, but he's actually. Pretty clear that most of the time, you know, he just, yeah. he, he went to the barn for good reason. He's always thinking his moves and, uh, and was that works well. Yeah, it was a pretty effective strategy, all, all, all told. I like that he the... doesn't even like directly rescue the yeah. boy either. He just yeah. sort of blows, blows himself <laughs> out of the barn and leaves a hole and you see the kid at the bottom, you know, just running, just out, running out screaming. Yeah. Yeah, you see him running right as the guts comes through the wall, looks like. Yeah, the guts, what the most guts will do for him is he like he's uh, he's got a little fire on his behind. Yeah. Guts puts it out with his cloak. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and he you know how to say congratulates him you know making a good bait. Yeah, that's good stuff. <laughs> oh, the kid, the kid's looking. Well, I was going to say, I thought he was looking at Guts angrily, but he's looking at the scene itself. Yeah, I think yeah, he's... And also, uh, you know, Guts is telling him to watch and enjoy it, you know, in a view. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's uh, He's gotten revenge for his parents, you know. Right. Yeah. Hmm. And then uh, Guts is a sensation on the brand, and then right as Puck and Jill arrive, and then they point and see uh, Rasheen having arrived. So, you know, the queen has come now that all these horrible things have happened to her children. Which is one of those other very dramatic uh, finishes to a volume, you know. The the tension's been raised, a new person has arrived on the scene, you know, how is this going to affect things? And the volume's over. And so is the episode. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So 
the volume continues with the Berserk prototype, but because this is a volume reread going in sequence, it, it's too out there for us in this particular thing. We have discussed the prototype kind of briefly before in the uh, Miura section. Uh, I think it was episode in the 20s, I think it was, or 19 or so. Anyway, I mean, look for it. Be something worth exploring is, you know, its own episode maybe at some point, but. For sure. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not skipping it because there's nothing of value here. More oh, of it, yeah. it doesn't really fit with what we're doing here. It just kind of, it'd be a kind of weird, odd appendage. So. Yeah, I, I think it, so. it would deserve its own thing if we were to cover it in death, you know. It's not yeah. just, you know. Besides, it's quite, you know, it's quite big. It is, mm. for sure. So that's it, guys. Thanks for joining us. And thank you, Incantation, for oh. uh, chipping in. And Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah. Anytime. Uh, Berserk news. There's not a lot of Berserk news. There's no <laughs> episode for this month. The month's already over. March, the next chance is March 27th, I believe. Uh, so we'll find out probably March 17th, 18th, 19th. We'll know by then whether or not there will be one this month or not. So we are now in the second longest break of the series history. So eventually uh-huh. we'll be back. But until then, we will continue the reread project and tune in next time, guys. so bad yeah. um, I kind of had a question for everyone um, like with what you've you've seen in the lost children so far what's your favorite like panel or page mm. uh, mine's the two page spread of them as they're swarming around the village probably oh, right yeah 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 mm. that's a good question Favorite panels that would be of volume fourteen then, but just you know the, just the children. Let's see. Like it mine's, uh, through it. I the, think the, the first time he does the spinning slice kind of thing, mm-hmm. the attack. That whole page looks just amazing, like fluid. Yeah, yeah I love pretty... that page. Yeah, it's also very, it's like it's breaking the fourth wall too. The guts is is uh, the sword's coming towards the reader, you know. Yeah. yeah. Like I think I I'm going to go ahead and highlight the the two page spread. I mean, where they sort of uh, we reset with him fighting the tree. I really like the way oh, the tree looks. It's the one I, like, I was going to say. <laughs> oh, well, too late, buddy. I got to it first. And yeah, that is a picture, very yeah, yeah the front one. and back, the look on Gut's face, and the shot of him from the back, and the look of the tree. It's actually that yeah. that tree. The the image of the tree is very old school. It looks like almost one of the color images from the Black Swordsman era. Yeah. Just the way it's shaded. Yeah. The tree is just fucking cool, man. That's that's yeah. it, you know. I mean I I love that tree. And there's a few shots where it's really great and that that's one of them. And of course yep. guts and uh Angel are nice, but yeah, the tree is pretty damn great. Love well, it. I mean, yeah, if you want to be derivative of my point, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's well, a very iconic so- shot. It's, the, it's actually probably the one that comes to mind when I think of Volume 14. Now I think about it, that particular shot. It's pretty good. And final yeah. thoughts, Berserk movie casting. I say Michael mm. Rooker as Zepic. <laughs> Merle <laughs> from The Walking Dead. So. Oh, man. Okay, uh, Glenn Close for Roisin. <laughs> 55-year-old, 65-year-old woman playing the teenager. That will do just fine. 
Well, it will look, it will make her look creepy, which is, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll reiterate Danny DeVito as Puck. <laughs> <laughs> Naked. Well, wow. he wouldn't mind. I mean, we've seen no. him. We've seen him go out of a couch naked. <laughs> yeah, coming out of the couch naked. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of any loose ends. Um, I was gonna. I invited a couple people on the show to do guest spots, um, but they didn't. They couldn't do it this time. Maybe next time. I was gonna invite the guy that did that void bust, uh, but he oh, couldn't make it this Krug. time. Yeah. Krug. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, it is. Why really don't we good, get yeah. Mira on the show? You should write him a letter asking for that. Sure. I'll write him a letter, and then Puella will translate it, and we'll mail it, and we'll tell him to be on the show in like six months. Get I on Skype we'll... at this yeah. time in six months if you're interested in your I'm just going to I'm just going to go real quick. I'm going to type in Kenny Mira real quick here. Ken Mira. No results. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, or if you could just send us a WAV file, you know, that would be uh... – That'd be a boon. <laughs> Do you think yeah, he sure. he knows about podcasts like mm. this one, especially? No, oh. I'm sure so. he listens to it every time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't he think emails he us knows. after every show with comments. <laughs> I don't think he gets that in, that involved. I don't get the impression that he he looks at fans stuff that much. Maybe I maybe the letters that are directed at him, but that's about there, it. There's I a general awareness of the the website. So, I mean, it's pl- it's possible and even plausible. Well, no, I certainly hope he doesn't actually check out what you know, fans are <laughs> I saying. I mean, not, because... that he, not that he gives a shit, but you know, just sort of like, oh, whatever. Well, he knows, you know, English fans exist, or at least English-speaking fans, but, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think he would bother coming to the board to check out what people have to say, you know, yeah. I mean, he's a very old school kind of guy in terms of that his design, the storytelling, and all. He's been doing this for twenty five well, years. I, I, I go back as... to his uh, his DVD interview <laughs> where it's like a black screen with yeah. subtitles in his voice, and it's like <laughs> you know they're talking to someone involved with the JFK assassination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this I just don't see gross. him as being someone that gets that one to one with fans like that very often or, or ever. But we we do know he's on Nico Nico. <laughs> So that he he probably does see fan created things. The question is, does he search for his own material? Like, what are people make? What anime music videos are they making oh, of my series? The, he's got you know? his name on the Google alerts. You know, he's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in other news, um, I can't stay much longer, but I did take the plunge and I bought Monster Hunter Four for 3DS. Azil. Uh, oh and, yeah, uh, nicely. I'm actually liking well, it. Saw- I thought you you had already done that, no? You were playing the I was, demo. I was playing the, the demo. Yeah, the demo is huge. Oh. You can play the demo for like hours and hours. But I, I went I went ahead and bought it because I was having enough well, fun. Well, I mean, those, those games tend to be really really big. Like, so, so oh, you yeah. can do stuff because you can like kill the monsters, you know, several different ways, and you restart, and there's some kind of harder mode. You you can get I don't know, like you know, thousands of hours of yeah enjoyment out of it. Wow. Yep. Yep, it's it's pretty repetitive, but it is it, the base game of it is very fun and addictive. But there's a yeah, lot of doing over and over. The gameplay and tactics are the main uh, attraction, I think. Uh, Le- leading into that, what what made me want to buy Monster Hunter Four was the fact that Majora's Mask was angering me and making me frustrated enough that I put it down probably forever. 
I'm, I'm oh, oh wow, yeah, that one. You know, you have to approach that one the right way, or it's yeah, it's you can pretty it much just get frustrated out of that I one. I wasn't point. having any fun. I mean, I played pretty much. It's the best the Zelda scene. ever, man. Uh, it's like the lost <laughs> children of Zelda games. Okay, <laughs> there's this <laughs> part here. It's really. <laughs> There's this part in the snow where everyone's frozen, and to get to make progress, you have to fetch hot water and pour it on several different things to make things you better, happen. But you better make sure you get that hot water there in like five seconds. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. That's the other thing. The hot water will chill so that it becomes unusable if you're not quick enough. But every time that happens, every time you use the hot water on somebody or an item, you have to go get a new hot water, which is the top of I, a mountain. I'm very proud use. that I beat that game, but yeah, it's like I tried replaying it some years later, and I just couldn't Ugh. get through it. It was too – everything in it is so esoteric. Yeah. It's – And the it's thing is I just wasn't having any fucking fun with it, and it's a Zelda game. It's like what the hell? So anyway, I, I put that down probably forever, unfortunately. But I, I did buy it, which is just my I own was fun. contemplating getting that actually for the 3DS, but I'm I'm playing Wind Waker on my Wii U controller in yeah. bed, which is pretty much like playing the 3DS, so. I'll mail you Majora's Mask once I solidify with myself and I'm done with it. Let me like give it a week or two and make sure it's not going to creep back into my playing habits, but I'm, I'm pretty much done oh, with yeah, it. Oh yeah, no rush. Like... I mean, I would be glad to accept. Did you ever finish Spirit <laughs> Tracks? Um, oh God, no. Yeah, see, I'm glad you came to the same conclusion that, as me. I didn't get that far in it. I mean, I didn't get, like, disillusioned with it or, like, where I, to the point where I was like, ugh. It was just, you know, my, you know, I stopped playing it for, for a few days and that turned into a week and that turned into forever. So. Yeah. Mm. And now if Is I tried to any- pick it up again, it would just be like, I don't even know what's going on. I'd have to start over and I don't want to do that. Sure. Um, so you probably got to go. It's probably late there, right, man? Oh, sorry. No, no, I'm, I'm okay. No, he's, he's probably he's got to talk about Wind Waker. He's got an urge. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna eat soon, but I can stay five minutes more. You know, I mean, I I don't want to hold you guys back if you want to go. I'm good. Um, I was just gonna say, uh, speaking of games, uh, I know Walter, you you gifted me uh, Dark Souls, and <laughs> I haven't played it as much, so very sorry about that. Um, I'm gonna have to find the time to, you know, play that. But I was just having trouble with, you know, these, these sort of new controllers, which have like mm-hmm. so many buttons and so many functions. And I guess I'm just good with four buttons and, you know, like a D-pad, you know, for those old Street Fighter games or whatnot. And this is kind of intimidating. There's like mm-hmm. an R1, R2, and you, you gotta do a bunch of stuff. I mean, it, it I mean, makes a lot of sense when you, uh, yeah, like just the yeah, way it works course. when you, get used to it yeah, yeah but yeah i mean dark souls i think in particular is kind of complicated control wise yeah i mean dark souls isn't if you're not used to the standard controller it's going to be probably too big of a mountain for you to be honest that's dark souls i it's, I don't think i think its challenge is often overstated but it's still not the kind of game you just kind of waltz into you kind of have to have kind of a pedigree to know what it is and even to have fun with it probably like if you don't know how to use a controller it's probably not going to be much fun. It's probably going to yeah, be pretty kinda, frustrating. I was always like struggling with the controller and all right, this is the button. Okay, let me remember it, you know. So there's no mm-hmm. muscle memory on a few moves, I guess. Um, so I sure. got to work on that. Sorry about that. You know, I'll, I'll get I, better. I mean, it's it was it cost me $5 and I I, <laughs> I know I give it to whoever whoever posts first in that thread. I I give it to him and I do that every time the game's on sale. Cuz I'm, <laughs> awesome. I'm the Jesus of Dark Souls. <laughs> 
I feel bad. So very sorry. Don't feel bad. Sorry about you that. You were the first of many, many people that have undergone the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, man, and I just want to say I'm sorry too for you know. Yeah, all you these apologize years. too. I'm, Chris. I'm, I'm still in the same spot, you know. So it's been like, yeah. <laughs> like how long? It's five years. Twenty twenty twelve. I haven't beaten Dark Souls two either. I beat that. It wasn't worthwhile. I haven't Ooh. even started playing Dark Souls two, but I put like, like seventy hours into it, so. Whoa. Like, like, what's the toughest game? Is it Demon, Dark Souls, or Dark Souls 2? Ninja Gaiden which, which on the NES. Like? Ninja yeah, I mean, I don't, <laughs> again, I don't, I don't, I don't think Dark Souls is particularly harder than, like, I don't, I wouldn't put it among the hardest games of all time. It's like, I don't know, top 500 maybe, but like, but, people but like oversell amongst, the difficulty. Like, amongst the series, like, amongst those three oh, games that are out there. Oh, among the Dark Souls games. Yeah, yeah. Certainly like not Demon Dark Souls or... 2. You can sneeze through that game. It's not even as hard as Majora's Mask, so. <laughs> um, I would. I, I haven't played Demon Souls, but uh, I, I thought Dark, Dark Souls was was a decent challenge. And there are certain okay. certainly some bosses that'll give you a hard time. Was well, this uh, particularly the, the honest DLC. game trailer said that's the the one with indie cred that everyone pretends they played and likes best? <laughs> yeah, that's Demon Souls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> are you losing me? Is my is my voice sounding weird? No, 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 no. You're no. not assuming okay. direct control yet. Okay, because you, you guys <laughs> blipped out at the very last second there. I mean, it doesn't matter, but just was making oh. sure. Oh, um, what time is no, it? I just for heard your silence and assumed my joke had completely it's tanked. You know, 9, so. 10, no, no, I'm just couldn't hear you. PM. Mm. Wow, that's. And you're eating dinner at 9 p.m. Well, you know, I wasn't going to eat dinner as I was doing the podcast. Sorry about that. Burritos while we're doing yeah. the show. <laughs> it's all it's all you guys' fault. All of you, <laughs> sorry you know, about and that. And I hold you all personally responsible for that, especially yeah, it's, you. It's, it's because of my because, mic. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's because yeah, of that. It's only yeah. because of that. And uh, yeah, I, hold I do you think so. Responsible for that. I think the fasting did improve your podcast performance, though. I would say that something what? something nutritionally was happening in this episode that was enhancing. Your- <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it was it was, it was a big improvement. So next time, just don't eat for a full day before you come online, and then it'll be the best episode. Oh yeah, sure. Let's end Let's on see. a high note there on our off-topic stuff. So thanks again, guys, and we'll be back in probably three weeks. So. All right. Cool. Always fun. Thank, thank you. Thanks. See you guys. Yeah. Bye bye.